All right, everybody, I do believe we are live. Welcome to another episode of the Break the Rules live stream. I am your host, Lev Polyakov. First, apologies are in order. Benjamin Sklar, at this point, he is not currently here. He may be showing up a little bit later. There was a, uh, there was a situation, but uh, I really appreciate you guys tuning in. You're going to be in for a heck of a show today with Brian O'Shea, because Brian O'Shea, I guarantee you, he does not disappoint. He is also, by the way, a, a, a what do you call parachuter uh going off the parachute what is the uh, official a, a former paratrooper in the military is uh, an additional skill a former paratrooper ex u.s special forces intelligence although i don't think just like a playboy playmate i don't think there's ever such a thing as x uh i mean you could tell me a little bit more information about that brian as far as uh whether sure. you're still being active as far as government duty calls no that's just that's just in the movies that's just in the movies. They're not going to call you mm -hmm. back for like one last mission. Uh, but well, anyway, we yeah, there's yeah, some, there's some details, but yeah. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into it, and we are going to be talking about Israel. Benji's Klar, hopefully, he is going to be coming in a little bit later. We will see what the evening uh, brings us. But anyway, we are going to be talking about what exactly it means that Israel has uh, gone to war with Gaza, what it means for the rest of the world, whether this is going to be the real trigger for World War III uh, versus uh, Ukraine. So, Brian, let's get right into it. And for those who also All don't right. know, Brian, you are a a, uh, a PI, private investigator as well, and you also former. run, former, and you also run Daily Clout, and you are also the husband of the wonderful Naomi Wolf, who has been very groundbreaking yeah. in her coverage of a certain thing that I'm not going to mention right now, but you guys could probably guess what it is if I cannot mention uh, let it. Let me just to clarify, she runs Daily Clout, and I run for her, um, you know, but no, I'm a contributor at her company, Daily Clout. And yes, yeah, she is doing amazing work across the spectrum. Excellent, excellent. So, Brian, what exactly do you make of the uh, current situation with uh, Israel going to war? And is this actually going to trigger World War Three? Is this going to be the thing that's going to bring us into the fray? Us, I mean, the United States. Well, I okay. So there's a lot there's a lot baked in there, but let me let me try to unpack it a little bit. That was a big question. Um, first of all, I, I think if you would ask you know any Israeli in, in the Gaza Strip, they would think World War Three has the worst the worst has happened. It, it reminds me of some of the reactions remind me of after nine eleven when people said, "Hey, you know, if we retaliate, they'll attack." I'm like, "Well, they already attacked." So. And they'll probably attack again if we don't do something to let them know it's you know there's a price for everything you do, because that's a different mentality that I think a lot of Westerners don't understand. By Westerners, I mean anyone who's not in that area. And hopefully Ben gets on because he could speak directly to that. But you know, there's a lot of people in the world. There's a lot of cultures in the world where they see diplomacy as weakness. They see um, the fa you know failure to. Uh, counter-strike as uh, an encouragement for them to strike again. And, you know, I, I can't speak for Israelis, but I can say if it were me, I'd, I'd be doing the same thing. Um, now, as far as, yeah. go ahead. Yep. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, as far as World War III, look, I honestly, like, I think there's people that want a World War III. You know, obviously they don't want a nuclear holocaust, but I mean, let's, I mean, if you just look at the, let me just give you a broad overview of what I see is 
Ukraine didn't really work out marketing wise. Most Americans are against it, despite what CNN or the you know the the normal spokesmodels say, like you know Jake Tapper and stuff like that. They, it's just too expensive. I mean, the economy is sucking. I think if we had a more robust economy, which we had three years ago. Um, I think Americans would be like, okay. And I, I think a lot of the Americans that are in favor of it aren't really feeling that much pain yet from the economy or they're trust fund babies who never feel the pain of the economy until there is no economy. But, you know, I think I'm, I'm seeing upper middle class moms feeling this and, and, and law firms now feeling this and it's just too much money. And, um, uh, so um anyway so what I, I i think happened there is like okay oh look there's a conflict in israel um and i'm i'm keeping myself from saying certain things like but this guy did it or this guy i don't want to get into that but there's a conflict in in, in israel and and gaza in that area and um almost immediately i i went to the dotgov websites and then looked for any pdfs and you could see just immediately all sorts of kinetic warfare type of weapons contracts being awarded including one to uh, i think it's draco or something like uh some defense company that the assistant secretary of defense just left and so you hear when the pundits start saying we got to attack iran when you hear when you hear cnn or washington post or new york times saying what we need to do as a country the best advice i can give people is do the opposite or don't do anything but would you say, just to be a bit of a uh, devil's advocate here, which is my position anyway, so that's very fortunate, when we had the very beginning of uh, World War II, we had a lot of Americans who thought, hey, you know what, America first, we had the Great Depression, we don't want to go through another World War One. why do we care whatever's going on in Germany? Why do we care about Hitler, you know, taking Czechoslovakia and then Poland? You know, that's their business. America's always been about, you know, not, uh, not minding other, uh, you know, not minding what other people are doing. By the way, I do have an update that Benji can do 8.30 p.m., I don't know, Brian, how long you have, if you would be able to stick I'll around or not. He's, really... Look, he's a fellow dad. Yeah. He's got a, you know, he's got, he's, he's a proud dad. He's got pictures of his, like, you know, little one all over the place. How can I, uh, how can I be Mona? I've been there. I've got two my, myself. They're, they're tall now, but uh, I, I get it. It's cool. All right. Totally well, for excellent. Well, great news, actually, everybody. He's, yeah. He's a master of marketing because like, I'm so excited now to meet him. <laughs> like I was looking forward to it but now like all this anticipation i'm like you know it's what's gonna happen <laughs> and same thing with all of you guys who are watching break the rules right now you guys are going to be in for a real treat we are gonna have like a real legit idf uh paratrooper here who is now a high-powered uh, lawyer coming in so before we get into uh that uh, conversation though when he gets here i want to talk about ukraine because you just said right now about americans being reluctant and how the military industrial complex tries to make this big commercial of it and yeah i do agree that a lot of it does look very uh let's say cheesy and very you know i want to support the right thing kind of mentality same thing that happened with COVID and so on and so forth but that doesn't always mean that that's incorrect there are certain times in histories when the assholes of the world where people who you wouldn't like sometimes end up saying things that actually do make 
sense. And then you have people who actually have integrity, like Ron Paul, Rand Paul, for instance, who say something that's actually going to cause a worse situation. So in the case of America, let's say, and Europe in general, because Europe was sick of World War One. They didn't want to, uh, you know, attack uh, Hitler or do any preemptive strike, even though they knew that Germany was arming. So the only thing that they did was they got Neville Chamberlain to come down there and sign that little piece of paper that says, okay, you can take Czechoslovakia, but that's it. And we're going to, you know, honor this new uh, friendship of peace. And guess what happened? Hitler ended up going uh, forward and taking more and more and more territory until he was stopped. And that is the issue that I see going on with uh, Ukraine right now, as well as possibly what's happening with uh, China and Iran when it comes to Israel. But in terms of Ukraine, what would you say to that uh, pre-World War II argument? Well, I, I would say, first of all, um, I'm, I mean, it's easy. I, I think it's easy to compare any... Uh, offensive action to the offensive action of another country. So, um, and let me think on on the relationship there. But what I would say about Ukraine in general was, you know, the question I would have for anyone is, if if this was the big plan of Putin to you know storm through Europe and threaten the democracy of the world, why did he wait till Biden got into office to do it? Or maybe that was the plan. Because I, why didn't yeah. it happen? Why why has nothing happened on you know since two thousand fourteen? But then all of a sudden, you know, and especially when everyone's rattling that saber on the side of the UN and Kamala Harris stupidly saying, "Oh yeah, of course we'll get you NATO," you know, and you know you can't put too much on her, but you know international politics. It's it's like, hey, she said it, you know, and it, look, I I think. You know, uh, I'll never qualify my statements by saying, I'm not saying he's this or this. I won't do that. I mean, people know how I feel. But what I will say is this. I, I just, there's been aggression. There's been cross-border aggression. Sure, it's been happening since 2014. I'm not saying it's not, I'm not saying it's not a, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to assist Ukraine. But what I'm saying is the amount of money that went into Ukraine already exceeds what's gone into Afghanistan. Okay. And I'll say this as well. How do you run out of bullets after about a hundred billion dollars? So to me, I, I think if it were any other, even Obama, maybe if it were any other regime in the white house, yeah, I might, I might be a little more patient, but this administration has literally lied about almost everything. And they got, they, they wasted the lives or, you know, pretty much wasted all the money and the effort that w went into Afghanistan to just hand it over. And they handed it over to the Taliban. You don't just accidentally leave a motor pool full of new equipment, new Humvees, helicopter. That's bullshit. That was a gift. And I think that gift was instructed uh, to be given to them by Xi Jinping because almost immediately after... Uh, Afghanistan fell and I feel so bad for those Marines. I still have that, that image in my head of these poor guys standing on the conics in a sea of chaoticness going on and those people on the ground. And that, that I've never seen anything like that in my life. And so when I see that, and then that same regime <laughs> wants us to trust them 
with sending so much money to a country who, in my opinion, and you'll disagree with this, but in my opinion, has no strategic value for the United States. So let's take this uh, one step and, at a time. Know, yeah. I have a lot of Ukrainian yeah. friends. I will no. qualify that statement. <laughs> Uh, so, and I have a lot of Irish friends too. Uh, shout out to the great Uber Boyo, by the way. He's coming in next week on Break the Rules with Jason Reeser Johnny, and we're going to be talking about Play Doh. So, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, regarding this thing, so a couple of things. I, Number I'm one, also Ivory Coast yes. and, and, and Czech. Just so you know. Ah, nice. So regarding <laughs> regarding Biden, I agree with you. I would say even more so. There are people who are Ukrainian who think that what he's been doing has been like this drip, drip, drip effect that maybe some people end up making money from that by elongating what could have actually been very different if he would have sent aircrafts, if he would have sent things that actually would have had a strategic advantage to the Ukrainian people rather than this drip, drip, drip thing. So far, as far as budget-wise, it's very weird this whole thing about the running out of bullets for me because number one we have only in terms of the calculations that have been given spent no more than six percent of the u.s uh, defense budget at least that's the statistics that i you got know, is that wrong it, it, it's it's not incorrect look they, nothing they say is wrong it's but that is such i mean that respectfully that's a talking point i've heard a dozen times, you know, and you hear that when I hear it on CNN, MSNBC, but when you look at the defense budget that they're quoting, they're talking about the entire defense budget. And that defense budget includes installation, federal installations, training, families, family programs, all that kind of stuff. And at the same time that people are like, oh, it's only this much of the budget. If you just go into the, you know, whitehouse.gov and you look at the, um, in the press room under presidential actions, you can see them shifting money from training and doctrine of our military to make to make room to give that money to another country. Meanwhile, our own country, you know, we're talking about a containment war, right? And I, by the way, I come in hot. It doesn't mean I'm mad. I'm just Irish. But um, this is still a debate even, you know, but, you know, a good show needs some good passion. But I, I feel this way, but um, mm. it's not directed at you. But um, the thing is, you know, we're talking about a containment war. I mean, that's how they sold this, right? If, if, if Ukraine falls and democracy will fall, that is a containment war. That is actually a classic Cold War style war. Okay, great. All right. But if you want to contain something, what about our own border? I mean, why are we sending FPS, Federal Protective Service, uh, highly trained, multi-state federal police who are in charge of uh, protecting our own federal infrastructure are down on the border, according to the press conference they just had the other day, and they're driving illegal aliens back and forth to their medical appointments so that way the Border Patrol can sit on the border. Like, what the hell is going on? Why are we sending, I mean, I have an answer, I have a, a theory, but why are we sending so much to Ukraine where, you know, we like to talk about protecting Taiwan, but it seems like we don't really want to. I think, you know, past administrations did, this one doesn't seem to want to. And, you know, on top of it, it's like, you know, Israel's an actual ally. And with, you know, we have a, a, a relationship with Israel that's gone back and forth. And they've, you know, they have routinely, um, you know, they've routinely had our back in many, many things 
especially being able to operate as I did, you know, in the Middle East and North Africa. So my thing is like, you know, and, and again, the initial helps out, that's fine. I would even be fine with it if the entire EU matched us, but they're the ones whining about being scared of Putin, yet they put in a pittance compared to what we put put in. Well, that's, I mean, uh, the, that's the, the problem right now, right? Because what they've been putting in has not been that high because they're so uh, scared of Putin. And some of them, like Viktor Orban, for instance, depends on Putin's energy uh, for, uh, for the economy. <laughs> No, well, why he doesn't? If they're so scared of Putin, why are they buying? Why are they number one customers for his gas? Because they're scared of him. Because they're scared of him. That's the whole point. They're scared of him, so they do business with him. If they weren't scared of him, then they figure out a way not to depend on the bastard. But to what you were saying about the migration, trying to, I could get into that. Some, but okay. So when it comes to the migration, I completely agree with you. But I don't look at it as being well. You can only do one; I cannot do the other. Because frankly speaking, I don't think we have a choice in this matter. Because my whole thing about this conflict, this war, has been okay. Let's say we don't support Ukraine, or let's say like we. Stop our support right now. What's going to happen after that? And the problem is that countries like Finland, for example, have already been uh, preparing their defenses. And as far as the rhetoric that's been coming out of the Russian government, Putin has said that Poland must be reminded that its Western territories are a gift from Stalin. And former uh, Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev claimed that the Baltic countries also belong to Russia. And he referred to Poland as being, quote, temporarily occupied, uh, talking about like the NATO presence there. And then you also had Russian uh, Colonel General. Andrei Mordichiev, who also confirmed the ambitions of uh, Russia, saying in an interview that, quote, this war will last for a long time because we still need to liberate Eastern Europe. So there we have it from the horse's mouth, what exactly these people have in mind. So my question to you is, okay, I agree with you about the border. I'm sure a lot of people do. What do we do if we're not going to help Ukraine, not even in terms of containment, but ideally in terms of getting rid of the Russian government. If we don't do that, if the Russian government keeps going into Ukraine, takes Ukraine, keeps going forward, wouldn't, number one, it get even more expensive for us eventually when we decide to do something about it? Or are we going to isolate ourselves so much that we're going to let this World War III occur, let Russia start acquiring Poland with the help of China, possibly taking even more countries? Like, where exactly are we going to draw the line here? Well, I don't know. I think the the fact that we um, we have troops currently in Georgia, along with special forces contractors, uh, we have stuff deployed to the Black Sea. Um, we've given over a hundred billion dollars. We still have bases in Vicenza. We still have bases in Germany. We still have bases in England. We have bases all around there. So I, I don't think isolated is quite the 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 profile I describe us as. So if it's um, not isolating, said, then it's going to be more expensive. That's what's well, going to be happening. You know, Here's the thing, like, you know, first of all, and we disagree on this too, but I've, I've done the math, okay, and I think you need like five to ten hectares uh, for every one soldier if you're going to occupy a territory. They just don't have enough troops, even if they used all their cooks. They couldn't get much past Poland. Um, but at the same time, so I don't really see how they can, how Russia can, uh, you know, be a threat to democracy. And let's face the facts, Russia is a big gas station with big guns. They'd rather make money than go to war. Um, but I think you're, the, the part, I won't say you're forgetting, but what I would say is what a lot of people don't think about is Russia doesn't seem to make a move without China's permission. 
Okay. And we know they've had treaties for years long before this, all that nonsense on the news about like, Oh, we're pushing them into their arms. Yeah. You can push them further into China's arms, but they've had treaties forever. They've always had treaties since the eighties. And so my thing is like, they don't seem to make a move without China's permission. So I think we have to be careful about um, rattling the saber about toppling, you know, an entire government who did not attack us. Okay, they have not attacked the United States of America at all. And so I would I, I would completely disagree about that because if we're talking even about the migrant crisis, if we're t for example with the migrant crisis, a lot of those Syrian migrants, those were caused by Putin's interventions into Syria, where he applied what is called the Grozny model, which was used in his war against Chechnya, basically decimating entire cities and having mm. the people there become migrants that then end up getting weaponized to use against uh, the West. And one example is in Finland recently i don't know if you've uh, heard about this wait, wait, i'm out sorry yes okay you are, but yes how has he attacked us through the number one the syrian migrants that are crossing over into so not just china's europe and the united states sure china's I mean, attacked us russia's I mean, attacked, us. attacked us china's attacked us uganda's attacked us mexico's attacked us sure venezuela guatemala i mean the list goes on but i, it, I don't think but again we're ta we're talking about these particular requirements of what does it count when the country attacks you or not that the country is expanding into the western sphere of influence means okay we're either going to sit on our sit on our asses with our hands tied behind our backs and wait until russia's going to get strong enough it's going to regroup and then it's going to go into so poland and now China? well in that case it's a little bit more complicated because number one we are way more dependent on these cheap dumb chinese goods for all the Americans, that it's going to be way harder to excise that demon. As far as dealing with Russia, I think it is going to be a lot easier since right now we are already by uh, proxy going against Russia by army Ukraine. So again, going back to my original question, fine, let's say we don't do anything. What happens then? If you're saying, well, we have all these bases in Poland and Germany. Okay, great. So basically what you're saying then is that we are going to have to pay way, 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 way more than whatever percentage of our military budget is being paid for right now. Once Russia regroups and goes into these areas, what's the other choice? Why? First of all, why, um, why are we defending Europe? I mean, seriously, why are we defending Europe? I wish we didn't. I wish Europe had its shit together. You know what I mean? But where are their armies? They, I they, wish they you're right. You're bloody right. Murder when Trump talked about leaving Germany, and even did even our, our left wing press screamed, yes. screamed bloody. You cannot do that, oh. You know, and it's like, and then, you know, like. You know, I think the problem with Americans is kind of like the Titanic financially. It's such a big vessel. They don't know it hit an iceberg already. That iceberg was the Biden administration or maybe even before that, you know, but the thing is, it's like it's sinking and we need to patch it up really quickly because once it starts moving fast, it's going to sink faster and faster. So I don't think the, the 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 average American is feeling the pain. But I will say this at this point, and I have to get you the citation, but what I heard um, was that right now, Ukraine has cost, on average, the American taxpayer a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars a year for additional for each taxpayer. Like that's like literally like every American wrote that check out and said, "Here, give this to Ukraine." Now, some people that's 
nothing. Some people that's something, but not painful. And but you know, there's a lot of people in this country right now where that's that's rent. No, I agree. And look, we had the Great Depression. I hate keeping on uh, bringing up the uh, pre-World War II times, but I think they are very apt for a comparison because people were, mm -hmm. you know, starving to death back then. Things were really, really horrible and people were sick of World War One. So it's like, why would we go into another war? My whole point is that everything you're saying is correct. What other choice do we have? It always comes back to what other choice do we have? And I keep bringing up why exactly we don't really seem to have that much of a choice here if Russia is going to keep expanding outwards. Now, when you were talking about the uh, Europe not being responsible and having its own military that's just as capable of doing this, I couldn't agree more. I think Europe, especially mm -hmm. Western Europe, has been a bunch of these fancy schmancy wine sippers that have relied on Big Brother America to take care of all of its problems. And frankly, I'm sick of it. I thought Trump was absolutely right when he was talking about how that part of NATO needs to get its shit together. But unfortunately, we're not living in a world where we can press a button and have all the bad things go away which is why facing what we're facing right now we're not going to be able to turn europe into like this mighty military force by snapping our fingers so dealing with the things that we are you know the cards that were dealt right now the only choice that i see here is us either resisting putin right now or resisting him afterwards when he regroups gets stronger then starts going into poland which point is going to be way more expensive i don't see any other choice right now um you know, what I see as a choice is get a actual leader in the White House and say, all right, everyone, take a time out. Let's have a talk. I mean, let's not forget, you know, people talk about like, you know, this, you know, Democrats, I'll just say it. And it's funny, I, I was always a, like a, like a, I'm, I'm an independent conservative voter is how I describe myself. I was always like, really like either way, you know, and because um, and, I voted across the aisle many times. This administration has honestly just shoved me into a corner because it's honestly like, you know, it reminds me of right now, and I'll get to your question, but the Biden administration and the way this country is run right now, it's kind of like this. There's a bunch of rowdy students are all about 10. That's good rowdy age, you know, just just old enough to be dangerous, kind of, or, or hurt if they punch you, but not not kill you. But they're, they're, they're going crazy. And the substitute teacher has died and is slumped over on the desk. Okay. And, uh, the kids are just running rampant. And then all the administrators are in the hallway looking in, but no one will go in there. Cause they're like, well, maybe he's not dead and maybe he's viable and maybe something good will happen. Meanwhile, the kids are setting the curtains on fire and, um, you know, and that's, that's the world. The kids are the world and, you know, strong leadership is the person slumped over on the desk. And look, we need you know, we need that guy from Stand and Deliver to come in with his megaphone and shove those kids in the corner, make everyone sit down, get rid of the body and, you know, get get the fires put out. And but you're talking. Yes, is, yes. Go on. What's that? No, no, go on, go, go on. So what I was going to say is that, you know, we talk about diplomacy and, you know, everyone talks about like, oh, but, you know, again, it goes back to that question. You know, if this was, you know, the big plan, OK, then you're 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 opening the window for a lot of other questions if the big plan was always for putin to invade ukraine and thus then the rest of the world then you got to ask yourself okay did he wait for a weak president and if that's the case did he know a weak president was coming in you know where i'm going uh, and yeah. um you know maybe he had the luxury of knowing when a weak president will come in who knows i don't know but 
the point is these things were not happening under our last president, Trump. They just were not happening because there was strength. And so the other thing I'll say is this, um, and you can see this in my Twitter feed. When the, you know, I, I just think it's, it's the timing is just wild to me because like, okay, all of a sudden the big cash cow machine, Afghanistan goes away August 15th by October. They even had, and there were a couple, a lot of rhinos or Republicans in name only rattling. They started rattling the saber about, we got to go protect Ukraine, you know? And it's like, wait, what? And so that was October. And then what was that? I think by February before anything even happened, I found several, several nonprofits and their websites already set up to help the victims of the uh, Russian attack on Ukraine before it happened. And then there's another law firm named Arendt Fox LLP. I'm not making this up. Arendt Fox LLP was really rattling that saber before anything happened. And I got to get this thread out to you because it's wild because thank you, my friends on Twitter, there's a lot of people that just dive into like every like research. Oh my God, they connected this thing to like wars all over the world. And the guy, uh, one of the name part, one of the partners in the firm was at Fauci's wedding. I mean, it's all over the map as a Ukrainian wife from a rich Ukrainian family. And this, these things were all set up before um, anything happened. And then I just tweeted it out. Like, hey, dude, you know, this guy that was with Aaron Fox, I was like, hey, you know, why this, why this? And why are you pushing this so much when nothing's happening? You know, and there could be some aggression, but the, there's always been aggression. And he just blocked me immediately. You know, this hmm. pretty big guy, you know, who and back then I didn't really have any followers and blocks me immediately. And then the whole firm blocked me. Um, so I'm like. Okay, well, now I'm interested. And then even watching it, we can go back and look at these. And I remember watching it live and all the all the uh, pundits or, or all the like even Fox News and CNN and MSNBC who are all equally terrible. They're like, oh, I'm in Kiev. And as you can see and probably heard, there's a massive explosion behind me. And I'm looking at my wife and I'm like, did you? I didn't, I didn't see anything. And then... They were talking about these, and again, I'll have to get this all off here. They're talking about all these towns getting like bombarded, right? So I'm like, okay, that, all right. So I go to Google and I put on the traffic overlay. There's no traffic jams. There's traffic, but there's no traffic jams. Now, what do you think happens when a city is getting bombarded? People are getting the hell out of it. Okay. And none, no traffic jams. And as a point of comparison, there were traffic jams leaving afghanistan yeah you know, in every direction and so i'm like okay and then all of a sudden google takes that capability away just for that area um i'm like there's something really really i'm not saying it didn't happen what i am saying is it almost seems like it was planned and a couple of people got the schedule a bit wrong and then they finally lined up. Wait, but it. would That's that mean the... would that mean that Putin himself was complicit in the planning of this with the Ukrainian leadership? Like at a certain point Maybe. you'd have to you'd have to attribute Maybe. some agency to the bad guy to do hey, things you know that what? a bad guy does. But if we're talking no no, because this is like way, Maybe. way, way other level than anything else. Because what? what that would mean is that Putin is in on that, it and Zelensky is in on it, everybody's in on it, and but it's no, no, all no. just like you go, orchestrated before you go really far with that just so it doesn't become a soundbite 
I'm not saying that you said that, but I'm saying, well, who knows? Okay, but you said ah, that. Who, who knows? Who knows? How often um, convenient? Again, who knows? Again, these days when you got UFOs below the fold on ch- page four, you know, anything's possible. Like, who knows what to believe anymore? So, unless it, you're there. In order for our minds not to get completely cracked we have to have a certain amount of grounding to something in this world because i completely agree with you about the ufos and all of that i can only make a choice in this reality based on the things that are in front of me if somebody's attacking me who's high on bath salts i have to defend myself i'm not going to start thinking about whether this person on bath salts is actually like in league with like somebody who i knew from years ago who has like planned all this out you know what i mean so as far as the reactions that my friends have had when they were um, you know in ukraine for example vladislav davidson who appears often mm-hmm. on uh, break the rules with curtis yarvin guys definitely check the, those streams out when you have a chance later on he he was in there, you know, he was like, he was fired upon and all that. And uh, we also have other friends, other people that we really trust who were in Kiev and who sure. were experienced like this bombing and all of that. So that's why as far as what happens like behind the scenes, like several layers deep, there's no way that I could say I can only work with what I have right now. Because like well, ultimately, course. ultimately, we could say that our entire reality is not of our choice and we are all piloted by God, like the by the various branches of god and uh we have no free will like we could we could go all the way there but at this point it doesn't really add anything to well what do we do about it because at that point you could just crawl up into a ball in your shower and you know think well there's nothing that i can do but unfortunately we have to play the game which is life where we have to react to what seems like the likeliest thing that's going to occur which as i said before is if russia just like the social justice uh, warrior leftists if these entities are not opposed in any way they'll keep going until they are opposed and you know this with the leftists right like if you give them any kind of where you force a truce like donald trump wants to do and you say and then look i'm not you know, campaigning for Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, you know, screw it. Yeah, I guess I am because honestly, like, he's the only person I want to see in the White House in the next four years. There, I said it. It's out. It's official. Um, but for no other reason, because he's the only one that I think has, you know, the backbone and the experience to um, really, at, at a minimum, just just pull the pull the emergency switch and shut everything down first, just to, so everyone can like figure things out like you see you said it earlier the way things it's like catastrophe after catastrophe and it's like there's so much going on. i mean look at the bills to support israel there's 15 other conflicts rolled into those and you know a couple social issues you know like just pull the plug it's like pulling the um you know the uh what it would you know when they have the pressure rooms and they pull it and it like you know just shuts everything down and fills with the uh uh, the baking soda and puts sure. out the fire. We just need to do that right now. Well, let's well, because, let's expand on that. Let's plan that out. So, yeah, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. I've done like like you know. I've been running, running, running. So if I lose my thought, I won't get it back because I'm, I'm, I'm on fumes. But um, what I what I will say is this: is like the the one thing we can do. Well, Joe Biden can't do it because I don't even think Joe Biden knows his name is Joe Biden. But um, you know, the one thing we can do is if we have strong a strong president is say hey you know what ukraine stop russia stop russia we're your third largest fuel customer in the world 
We're going to stop that and open up our own pipes if you don't agree to go this truce. And, you know, Zelensky, you know, you know where your bread is buttered. So you're both going to this truce. We're going to see if we can figure this out instead of before that can even happen, having an idiot like Joe Biden say a guy's a murderer and he's all this. And, he, you know, he's you talk about isolation. We've never been so isolated because of one president's actions. That's the thing. People talk smack about like a lot of the other presidents. We've never been this isolated. We are isolated from Saudi Arabia, who's now talking with China to change from a petrodollar to a petro one because that moron decided to call him a murderer. And then he turns around and calls Putin a murderer. Like he throws that word around like it's nobody's business. And look what's happening. No one trusts us anymore. People might not have liked us before, but they certainly trusted our strength. No one's even scared of us these days. Well, that is kind of the inverse of the madman strategy, where it doesn't really make sense to say, oh, you're a murderer, you're a murderer, but there's not really anything that would back up reacting to a murderer like you would react to a murderer. In the That's case a great of, point. Like, there's, there's yep. not going to be that element of fear. But if we break it down, what happens when Trump gets in there and tells uh, Putin, you know, stop doing this because of A, B, and C? I still don't think that Putin is going to necessarily like what would make Putin stop. Let's let's just like list all the dis reasons down here. Why would Putin stop or also why wouldn't Putin just pretend to stop say, "Okay, Trump, you win. I'm going to stop." Meanwhile, he's going to do what uh, Nazi Germany did when they start stockpiling, you know, more weaponry and more troops and training sure. and all that and just waiting for the right opportunity to strike again. Let me see what would make Russia stop. Probably if you seized all their gas stations that are jointly owned throughout Iraq and Afghanistan, jointly owned with the French, and then you say, hey, tell your buddies to stop. I mean, that would help. Or you could just do what Clinton did when uh, the Chinese uh, were showing aggression to us and just completely level their embassy. I don't recommend that, but let's not forget Bill Clinton leveled the Chinese embassy in Belgrade, and you cannot tell me it was an accident. And do, do you remember that? Mm, I was too young. So what exactly went on there? Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's not a gotcha. Certainly not. Um, uh, it, and it is a piece of hit. Well, you know, it was something a democratic president did. So, you know, it's eventually going to be washed from the, uh, the record, but no, that happened. And, you know, so there was a lot going on. There was a, a crew of AWACS air, airmen that were being held by the Chinese and, you know, to his credit, only Bill Clinton could sell that one. Uh, I mean, that guy, he's, his nickname was Slick Willie for a reason, because, um, yeah, all of a sudden in the, <laughs> in the middle of everything that's going on in Serbia, we did a precision strike on the Chinese embassy and not, you know, with barely any damage to the buildings around it. And Bill sells it like, you know, you know listen to how he sells it. He goes, well, you know, we talked to the pilots and um, turns out they had old maps. And, you know, so these things, they, they do happen old maps state-of-the-art multi-billion dollar aircraft are up there breaking out their like triple a triptychs are you kidding me but he sold it you know that's the thing so there's a lot you can do and you know i think people forget that like there's huge shows of strength that happen all the time that people don't even know about so like when you know the iran was fueling it up and they were rat razzing it up Xi Jinping was in Mar-a-Lago, you know, for a state dinner or whatever. And um, 
he was backing and, and everyone knows that china backs iran quite a bit and he was backing a lot of the terrorist attacks that are happening against our troops in iraq and so i i have it from a good source i can't say this is exactly what was said but there's a famous picture of xi, xi jinping getting his hand shaken by donald trump and donald trump kind of in my opinion looks like he's squeezing it they don't look comfortable they're doing this whole mm, i hate you and uh, apparently what happened at that dinner is um and again can't confirm the source can't even give the source but it's a good story um if it's not true but what i heard was that he said oh hey gee i got the uh you know i can't do donald trump but he's like yeah i got that uh that that dark chocolate cake you like with the dehydrated uh, raspberry you know powder that you were talking about yes yeah, so i really hope you enjoy it oh yeah and i just uh, bombed your buddy over there in iraq and so he's no more that general from iran and i'm taking out your syrian bases as well so i uh, hope you enjoy your cake now here's a problem with that that i could say outright at this moment Qasem soleimani was the most liberal of all those Iranian generals. Giorgiani confirmed this on the last stream. Trump really screwed the pooch by taking that guy out. He could have taken anybody else. That would have been fine. He took the one dude that actually had a chance of liberalizing Iran, which to me says, okay, you have a big stick, but you don't really know who to hit it with properly. Dude, he was illegally in Iraq there, and he'd been running operations. He was in he was in enemy territory. Like you're telling me, he could have solved things. He's there to be like, you know, negotiate in the long like, in the long term. Because right now the situation in Iran is that, uh, as far as our last conversation with Johnny goes, around uh, seven out of ten people want the regime gone, and a lot of these are young people. Iran has a very young population there. The one thing he said that America should not do and Israel should not do is attack their nuclear uh, stockpiles because he says that as far as energy goes... No, no, well, hold on. I got to finish here because the Iranians are very proud of their uh, nuclear energy. And I I don't mean stockpiles and weapon. I mean, like, in general, like, all their nuclear stuff, that is something that they are very proud of having achieved. But... As far as invading Iran goes, you may find this kind of weird, and we'll talk about this also. Uh, I don't want to invade Iran. Don't 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 get me wrong. I do not want that. You do not. Nope. But but as far as the conversation with Giorgiani, and who knows, maybe I can get the two of you guys together to kind of hash it out. Mm-hmm. His view was that instead of Israel going into Gaza, what Israel should have done is invade Iran, because the Iranian that's, people. That's that's a talking point. That that's actually literally a Pentagon talking point right now because that's the big money maker. And there's so many multi-billion-dollar contracts that are dependent on that very invasion happening. Quick question. Like that would be quick yes. question. Does it necessarily mean that whatever people make money from is always going to be bad? Could it happen sometimes that there is something in this life where people who you don't like end up making money from it, yet it's still sure. the right decision? I was a defense contractor. I made money from it. I was doing good things, of course. So as of far course. so as far as Iran, it's a very different situation than no, wait, Iraq. Wait, can I say? clarify? Sure. Just to, sure. So I know you heard me. Sure. And I know you're listening, but just so it, it came through. What I'm saying is there's contracts that were drawn up and you can you can literally go onto I think GSA and find these drawn up that are dependent, okay? They're contingent on an invasion of Iran 
Okay, Th then those same people who may, you know, their former employees may now be the assistant defense secretary are the ones rattling the saber to invade. You see what I mean? It'd be like, it'd be like me saying, hey, you know what? Um, I really think we should set the house on fire because I'm trying to get the budget lifted for the fire station. I mean, that's what that's like. So yes, I agree. There's lots of things that come out good and even war things that come out good from spending money, of course. But what I'm saying is when all the signs point to the fact that the profiteers are driving the message, and that seems clear here, um, that's when people have to pump the brakes and as long as it takes, try to make things as peaceful as they can, as long as they can, just so they can get their accounting straight. That's all I'm saying. I mean, war is inevitable, I think, till man is on Earth. It's going to happen. We'll never have peace on Earth. It's never going to happen. It's just not in our nature. And so what I am saying is, but you can manage the violence of humankind as best you can to at least maybe shift people towards a more creative outlook on life where things continue to get produced and things continue to get invented. And which is a big reason why I love capitalism, you know, but um, if we let people like, you know, Raytheon and I kind of wish I could remember the name. It's like dragon or something like that. I'd never heard of it or dark or something like that. But if, if we, if we're, we're, we're seeing certain industries are driving chaos. Okay. They're driving chaos because it's profitable and it's always profitable. So I'm not saying every war is fake, but what I am saying is every war has opportunists e either beforehand or afterhand uh, or post-war. So you're going to find that great example. And then I'll, I'll hand the mic back to you. When I was deployed for enduring freedom, um, right after nine 11, you know, my unit for special forces, our area of operations was Southeast Asia. So we ended up going to the Southern Philippines because I, you know, quite honestly, it's, I thought if to, to deal with, uh, Abu Sayyaf group, which is pretty small, you know, terrorist group, but they had American hostages. And I think it gave us, you know, a reason to be there quite honestly. But, um, what you know what happened was we get there and of course we're getting attacked and bombed and a couple friends blown up and that sort of thing and you know, were doing live fire exercises that means you're doing a training exercise with real bullets and oh by the way if you run into a terrorist you blow them away um but what started happening is the food sucked like these contractors dyncore being one of them sucked like it was horrible and um so we're like, no, we're not going to do that. One thing about green berets and seals, and I'm sure Ben, we're not going to, we're not, we don't really take orders the way other soldiers do. We, we don't just get in lockstep and say, you'll never hear us saying we we're just following orders because it's stupid. It's stupid. And we'll get ourselves a new leader. But the, um, the thing was, it's like the food was so bad. We found instead this guy who was German and his wife was, um, his wife was Filipino and, um, he had a, uh, a bratwurst stand in Southern Philippines. <laughs> it was, it was called Mr. Sausage. And, uh, <laughs> I know it's a great name, right? And he's this big kind of cherubic German. And he was so happy because it was like, and we didn't want to tell anyone because it's like the food was so good. 
I mean, the other food, it was like there were like maggots in the rice and mold on the food because it was all contracted out. By the time it gets subcontracted, subcontracted, you know, we're we're in the middle, you know, we're sleeping on badminton courts for like a year, you know, and having people shoot out the wall like that separates us from the highway just for fun. And um, the least thing they could do is make sure our food is good. I mean, the food in Iraq was fantastic. You know, they had Subway and everything, but yeah, we had this. And so we're like, now we're just going to go to Mr. Sausage. <laughs> and um, we could, because most of us were married or we're getting um, BAS, which means they weren't taking our food out of our paycheck. If you live in barracks, they take your food out. Oh, um, that's not yeah, good. It's, yeah. It's, it, it's like 200 bucks a month, whether you, whether you eat in the chow hall or not. And um, so then I guess DynCorp and their subs complained to um, SoCal, to Special Forces Command. And then they started docking us for three meals a day and just giving it to the contractors. Whether we ate there or not, just giving it to the contractors. And so that's opportunism. And those are the kind of people, in my opinion, those kind of companies, the Halliburton's, the Dyncores, a lot of the logistics companies, um, and, and you know, the manufacturers of like, the Patriot missile, um, which they've expelled so many of those in Ukraine for a lot of times for no reason. Um, you know, those are the people driving the war because there's so much money to be made. And if you go to um, Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia area, the Beltway, um, it's like Route 66 between D.C. and um, Dulles Airport, down two, drive down 267. It's called the Dulles Toll Road. And on your way, go through Fairfax and McLean um, at Tyson's Corner. All you see is contract firms, big, huge glass contract firms. And the entire Arlington, Fairfax, Alexandria real estate economy is built around the defense industry, which didn't spring up to the degree it's at now until after 9-11. So you see there's this whole infrastructure built on war. And some wars that were necessary, some that were not, but built on that. And then on top of it, you have sometimes more than half of the agency staff for the different intel agencies and uh, different support agencies around the government, whether it's DIA, CIA, NSA, all those. It's almost a 50% contractor workforce, if not more by now. And they're calling the shots a lot of times and that's why they have so much power and that's what we have to be careful of to not get wrapped up in the feelings but to always just grab onto the facts because that's and, and, and i'll yield go ahead well what you were saying right now about facts versus feelings i would throw it back at you and say i'm trying to cut the gordian knot of these conversations having to do with what is absolutely correct as far as this various uh, degree of corruption and mismanagement and all these very, you know, human problems. It's like if you're morbidly obese and you're suffering from all kinds of, you know, venereal diseases while at the same time somebody's about to chop your head off. 
at that point, the very first problem that you have to solve is making wait, sure wait, your wait, head. Wait, 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 wait. Yes. Just so I know, so I know I'm tracking your. Yes. How do we get from venereal diseases to the head getting chopped off? I'm sorry. I'll explain. I'll explain. No, 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 no. I'll explain. Okay. The analogy I'm using here is that getting your head chopped off means when you have aggressors like Russia and China that are going to be going into Europe and that are going to be causing a problem for us that at this point we're not ready to really address. And the venereal diseases and the morbid obesity is all of this waste and this bureaucratic glut and all these problems which are very real, which you're talking about. But I'm just talking order of operations here. We have to treat everything. We have to treat the obesity. We have to treat the venereal diseases. But first, we got to make sure that our head doesn't get chopped off. That's kind of how I go about uh, my thinking when it comes to these very real problems. I hear what you're saying, but wouldn't it make sense to, okay, so let's say your arms are the only thing you have to keep your head from getting chopped off. And so let's say, you know, based on the fact that we have assigned ourselves as the stewards of defending democracy for the whole world um, from, you know, a Russian army that, again, can't really have the manpower, but we'll get into that another time. I just had to slip that in because... Um, but where's the budget to make sure, like, seriously, like that kind of military action doesn't happen overnight. The planning doesn't happen overnight. It's years in the making. And we knew it. We knew it long before, but we waited till Afghanistan cash machine went away before we did it. So what I'm saying is based on what you're saying is, okay. Um, what if by letting your body get neglected and your, you know, your home, whatever you want to say, get neglected. You basically created the environment to let your head get chopped off. And I'm going to, I'm going to move off the analogy because I'm, I'm getting <laughs> lost in my own analogy. Um, but what no, I'm you're saying doing good. is like, you're doing good. if it was so important, it was such a threat, right? It's such a threat. Where's the intel on that? Like, where's the intel? Where's the troop buildups? Where is the, the urgency? I mean, keep in mind, like, most wars we're building up troops and even after like you know uh, what was a desert storm and then desert shield you know it still took us a few months i mean we we're there pretty quick we have rapid deployment units but it took a while you know to get people on the border you know over to saudi arabia to go defend an actual ally kuwait uh we've been invaded now what i'm saying is if it was such an urgent thing it was such an urgent thing where was the buildup? Where was the increase? What, you know, how come they didn't expand the number of linguists who were training in Russian um, until after they invaded Ukraine? You know, where? <laughs> why was the focus on everywhere else? Why was the focus on, um, oh, I don't know, uh, equity and wokeness, which it was. I mean, if you see Millie's speeches where it's like, I want to learn about, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, where was the urgency? I mean, we're, if we're if we're spending all this money on the intelligence agencies, are you saying we were we were surprised by Russia? And if we weren't surprised, where was our preemptive actions? Because the only preemptive actions I saw were a bunch of Republican and Democrat senators and congressmen, most of which have defense contractors in their states, calling for war. You know, before he was even doing anything or much except rattling a saber. And then a president doing everything it seemed in his power to make sure that war 
not only happened, but continued. So what I'm saying is we're the United States. If we are the stewards of democracy and we're, we've assigned ourselves that role, isn't it incumbent upon us to make sure our intelligence is doing their job and that we are shifting these European-based assets around to maybe uh, deter an invasion? Uh, you know, we did it with the Cuban Missile Crisis. We did it with so many. We still do it in China occasionally, in the South China Sea. Where was the deterrence to keep Putin from invading? There was none. It was almost like we wanted him to, do, to invade. That's what it feels like. And that's the reality that we're working with in this uh, incarnation of our lives. And at that point, it's like, what do you want us to do? Yes, all that you said right now is true. What's the alternative? That's what I always, you know, pragmatic love. I always keep coming back to, okay, we suck. We have all these problems. Let's solve these well, I problems. I don't think it's incompetent, so don't, don't okay. misunderstand me. If you think, okay, that's fine. But if you think it's intent... That is absolutely fine of you to think so, but it still leaves the question of, okay, with that being the intent, what are the choices that we can make right now? Because, again, either we assume that Putin is like still part of the uh, Great Reset, you know, friends with Klaus Schwab, and is like in on this whole thing, or we think that Putin is like a separate agent, he has his own things that he wants to accomplish, and that is why we still have to, at the end of the day, make some kind of a decision as far as how to stop him from going more into Europe. Given everything that you said right now, we still have these choices we have to make, and that's the problem, right? Sure. Like, no matter how corrupt, no matter how uh, bloated this whole system is, mm -hmm. we still have to make these choices. Now, maybe it means that we need to have a bit of a great reset of the elites, Maybe it means that we have to have other people that are going to be coming in in positions of power that are actually totally more responsible, sense. like that whole uh, cycle of history yeah. talking about, you know, um, uh, weak men make hard times, hard times make strong men, strong men make, you know, good times and all of that. Sure, that's like a fact of life. And what I'm saying is we're not going to go away from that cycle of life. It's going to happen. We may not succeed mm -hmm. right now with what's going on, and Putin may start going more into Europe and Poland, and that's going to be our big wake call, like in World War II. Same thing there. We could have stopped Hitler way earlier. So things this are going to get it tough. Putin is not Hitler, dude. He would have invaded long ago if he was Hitler. He's the closest. He he's, long, yeah. No, he's the closest thing. But the difference is that Hitler was younger. Putin. No, I got to finish I would this. Argue Putin. That Putin. Is closer to Hitler. Putin. Than, you know, oh, that's bullshit. That is, that is see, complete they're bullshit. The, they're both in the arts. They're both really short. <laughs> Putin's know, really I mean, short. Putin's really short. Putin might that's... be really short, but Putin has a, an entire adult career steeped in international geopolitics. This man is a chess player. He's not a checkers player. And so the thing is, it's like, yeah, I, I just don't think it's a good comparison to compare. It, it is a talking point from left-wing media. I'm not saying you're left-wing media. Obviously, you're not. You're talking to me. But what I'm saying is it's a it's a classic talking point to anytime someone you want people to not like someone, you compare them to Hitler. But, but now, bro, it, it, yes, it's yes. sad because I was hoping we'd migrate to comparing them to bin Laden. But apparently, you know, the TikTok crowd thinks he's cool now because they're morons. Um, and uh, they apparently don't read anymore. So or even watch any history that's older than 10 minutes old. But, you know, the point is, um, you know, it, it, we can compare them to whoever we want. But what you don't have is any of the same factors that led to World War II. And that's a longer conversation. You don't have any of the economic factors. You have uh, someone who has brought 
his entire defense infrastructure internal over the last 10 years expecting to eventually get sanctioned we have a guy who um it was a joke to blame the russians on anything you know as recently as when burn after reading came out if, if you've seen that movie that's a nice film i like the coen brothers a lot yeah, yeah when everyone's like why'd they sell the secrets to the russians the russians like why'd they go to the russians like it was ridiculous so what I'm saying is like this, I'm not saying, you know, obviously there's war and there's real suffering. And like, I feel for the soldiers on the Russian side and the soldiers on the Ukrainian side and the families on the Ukrainian side, because I don't think the Russian families are that affected. But what I will say, I feel bad. I always feel bad for the soldiers. Because um, one thing about American soldiers, Russian soldiers, and I've worked with Russian soldiers, I've worked with the Ukrainian soldiers. I've worked with a lot, Special Forces works with a lot of different countries. Um, soldiers are soldiers. They only care about each other. They actually are probably the most apolitical people you'll ever meet are soldiers because they're there to do a job. They're not there to blindly do a job. They're not going to execute Nazi like orders because they're told to those, those, at least not in our army. Um, but the thing is, it's like, I, f I always feel bad for the soldiers. I feel bad for Chinese soldiers crying on a bus because they're about to get their asses handed to them in hand-to-hand -hand combat by a bunch of Indian soldiers. You know, um, I, you know, I feel bad for the soldiers because they are, at the end of the day, they are the, um, the tip of the spear for a bunch of fat bureaucrats that have never taken any fencing lessons. And that's how I look mm. at it. With the, Russia, know, with the Russian that's soldiers? My quote. That's my quote. Okay. Well, with the Russian with the Russian soldiers back in World War II, that was definitely the reality, much more than for the German soldiers, because the German generals used to eat together with the soldiers and uh, you know sleep in like similar barracks. While with the Russian uh, military, you had these generals who were the fat cats who were eating caviar while their soldiers were going out into the front lines and just like zerg rushing oh, their enemies. Come on. That is all true, but to say the Nazi generals were eating with all the truth, at I'm, least I'm, at I'm, least I'm, from what I at least from what I read, that was a different kind of situation in the German army. Where even going back to when Hitler was having like the Hitler Youth and all of that, he made it a point to make sure that there was like this socialism going on. Like nobody is like more That's, you know higher wait, up wait, than somebody else. Wait, wait. Wait, yeah no. okay no i'm wrong i'm wrong hitler was a socialist he was a socialist in <laughs> fact right, every every the single was, every single business in germany hierarchy. every single business in germany by the way just real quick on the side here every single business in germany during the nazi uh power it had to have like a representative of the nazi party there uh to make sure that that business was like well socialized it was not a private industry by any means so for all the people who say oh it was like capitalism under germany that is bullshit. no 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 that's, i know it wasn't yeah. that no i get it but but, but even as far like... as the military works from what i understand again you're more of a military guy so you could tell me the I can guarantee you that like yeah okay so here's how these things happen okay sure. so we, we have very good officers, but, you know, in general, you know, there's a huge social divide between officers and enlisted. It is literally like, uh, you know, upper middle and upper class versus working class and below the latter being enlisted in terms of the majority of where they came from, their socioeconomic backgrounds. And so even in our military, and I'll say it, it's like, 
you'd always see the officers would take the gate guard positions, you know, for the MP, if they're in the MPs, but only on like the holidays when there's a lot of traffic coming in and out of the base. So people like, oh, look at that. They're doing the job so their soldiers can go home and eat with their families. And it's like, and one time I even caught one that wasn't even an officer. They just dressed a private like an officer so the officers could get credit for being down with the troops. So I certainly wouldn't believe that that what you're telling me sounds like classic PR for the military. That's the kind of crap our army would do. And that's the kind of crap that like the communists do in China where like they bring buses of like these woke, like the like Harvard professors out in the eighties and into the nineties and they would bus and they even do with our governors as far as, as recently as like th four years ago. And they're like, <laughs> you gotta see it's ridiculous. And Oh, actually the, uh, that basketball player got a, a taste of that as well. Um, I forgot his name guy with the hair and he was really fabulous, you know, um, Anyways, we got to him, but uh, so real well-known guy. But he, um, they would take the bus out, right? And they would drive, and I've seen this too because I've I've been to many trade shows in China, and uh, you drive by, and there's a guy in a suit. <laughs> They've got the farmer taking a rest with his shovel, talking to the guy with the suit, and then the cop comes up, and they're having a conversation. And then without asking your tour guide who's on the bus, who's obviously the party like babysitter, it'll say, oh, yeah, you know, I bet you're wondering what they're talking about. And even if you say, no, no, I wasn't. I was trying to read my book. Um, he'll say, yeah, yeah. So here we solve problems regardless of your, your role in society, because that's what communism is. And that's why it works. However, if you were in your own car and you just took a U-turn and went back, you know, they're all taking off their costumes and going back to their shitty jobs. You know, so the, the point is like, I, I wouldn't put any stock in that sort of thing. Cause well, that, that, that is not the stock. hill. That is not the hill that I want to die on. You know, the hill of talking about yeah, the, the quality, quality among Nazi officers and, and soldiers. No, but the reason why I mentioned that in the first place was the sheer level of hierarchy within the uh, Russian army, that was something that uh, was the case, where you would have these generals that were very disconnected from what was happening in the troops. Uh, my own uh, great uncle, he was in what was called the Strombat unit, which was the penal colony unit. So all those people who got arrested and were sent to the gulags, they were also fighting in the war. And the way that they were fighting is that they were in front and the Russian soldiers were behind them with guns pointed at them. So they yeah. would be like a human shield that they would run in, you know, and face oh, yeah. the Nazi troops. So, yeah, like this is the kind of mentality, though, that's become fetishistic it's, 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 within Russian circles. It's a communist mentality. Because the, the individual yeah. does not matter. I mean, and the Russians are well known for that. And so are the, like every communist, like don't join the army or like avoid the draft if you're in a communist country because you, and we're not technically individuals in the U.S. army either. You know, we do mm -hmm. give up a lot of our rights when we sign and take that oath. We fall under a different system of law and everything. But, you know, as much as people say about our military who've never been around it and everything, I've seen a lot of militaries and I can say, despite, you know, some flaws that will always come with a large organization full of weapons. Um, I, if I'm ever taken hostage, please let it be the American military because honestly, like the Turks, the Chinese, the, 
hell man it's like no <laughs> you don't want i wouldn't even want to be taken hostage by the french i mean seriously it's it, you know we are the nicest military that i've ever met the nicest maybe thailand could compete with us for that one but that's about it i um, i couldn't agree more but i also think that, I mean, yeah. like, nice in a woke way i mean like humane Sure, but with that humaneness, here's what I think is like a psychological issue that's been going on recently. And again, like I'm not pointing specifically like to uh, uh, the Trump supporting side here, but pretty much everyone. Mm -hmm. Americans, in my opinion, are too nice in the sense that they are willing to give a lot of trust to people who appear to seem like reasonable individuals. And there is an attribution that I think a lot of the mm. Eastern Bloc countries don't have towards the other people because of communism, mm. because being under communism made a lot of, you know, like the Polish and so on and so forth, very suspicious of anybody who's trying to get them to do whatever or makes any kind sure, of promises. Of and with the Americans, I think the real big issue is that they would look at somebody like Putin the thing, hey, this could be like a reasonable guy. We're approaching it all wrong. We can make a deal with him. And that's at least coming from somebody who's like an Eastern European guy. That is where I think the American weakness is. That Americans think that Putin mm -hmm. is capable of having some kind of a deal made, where, in my opinion, Putin doesn't know how long he's got left to live, even if he wants to live forever. His number one thing has been keeping this feed feedback loop going with his media. Because the way that it works in Russia is that all the, like, I know you guys talk about, you know, like CNN and all that kind of stuff. Here is how the news program works in Russia. There's this guy named uh, Gromov, who is uh, Putin's uh, first deputy chief of staff, Alexei Gromov. And his number one job is to make Putin happy. He's also the co-founder of Russia Today, RT. Mm -hmm. And uh, here's the way that it works. The head of television channels attend weekly meetings at Gromov's office at the Presidential Administration Building in Moscow, where they are told what must be broadcast and what is forbidden. Gromov's session bring together the heads of all the major uh, Russian public and private TV companies, Channel One, VGTRK, so on and so forth, mm -hmm. plus representatives of key government agencies, including the office of the president, the government, and the parliament. Okay. So a Kremlin, well, I got, I, I got, yeah. So a Kremlin official. It's not fair, by the way. I didn't have no. It's ready, but go ahead. All right, here we go. A Kremlin. Yeah. I didn't even know I would have this in front of me here. This is improv here. Uh, this is uh, from a recent piece that I'm uh, <laughs> writing right now. By the way, Lev's Lens Substack. Uh, the link is uh, right, right, uh, right, right I'm there. I'm learning a lot from you about how to market my own stuff during the cast. I never do that. Always be selling ABC from Glen Gary Glen Ross. Always be closing. Closing. Always closing. Be closing. closing. Yeah. Always be closing. Get them to sign on the line that is dotted. You gotta Put have that copy down. <laughs> You got to have brass balls. Anyway, a Kremlin official responsible for election campaigns also participates along with foreign ministry spokeswoman Maria Zakharova. A few regular okay. rent these. Can I just have you skip to the end? Tell me 
Sure. Well, here's the end. Gromov outlines the president's schedule and gives direct orders about how to cover his appearances and what exactly should be shown or said in news reports. And what happens from there is that the people decimate the uh, Russian propaganda around the TV. Putin does not go on the Internet. He doesn't go on 4chan. He doesn't watch YouTube. The only thing that Putin watches is Russian television. And it becomes a feedback loop where the kind of propaganda that these people want Putin to receive he ends up receiving what do you mean my so i'll send you the source right here the source no, of all I, the people I'm who just, have worked together the with the source i can tell you right now the source is the occrp the occrp is the organized crime and corruption reporting project they are a nonprofit that uh gets to the so bottom how of a lot are of they these. In, just out of curiosity i'm not being a smart ass here yes. how is this project able to get inside putin's den and his bedroom to know what he's watching that is a very accessible fact because a lot of the people who have formerly worked with putin are available for interviews they talk especially people who have grown up with him for a long time That's hearsay. i can send you the names of the individuals because putin it's still is still hearsay then there I mean, is nothing mind, we, no we but then there is nothing that we could say at all but then at that point right. we have nothing to rely upon which is see my point though right like, i see yeah but your point could be applied to pretty much every now, single thing on earth that's the problem with the point about, i i think i think a problem with this entire thing which honestly sounds like and this this actually sounds like it's pushed by russian propaganda to make putin not look smart because you're talking, it doesn't line up, and I'll tell you why. Okay. You're talking about a guy who ran Russia's premier intelligence agency and was a field operator who all of a sudden, after years of training, of multi-sourcing, recruiting sources, assets, and everything, is just going to trust the guy that says you can only watch this? It doesn't make sense. It sounds to me like... It's a way to get the West to underestimate. Putin. Nobody's That's telling. Like, nobody's telling them you only have to watch this. This is Putin's own decision, and this is. I the- would imagine Putin probably can watch and get access to watch whatever he wants. Again, I think the problem here is that it's giving somebody who is of his position much more qualifications than is necessary to do what he does. The man is really good at being a criminal. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. that the man is really good at having the objective view of reality of how to properly Putin. act. I'm talking about Putin, exactly. Do you know his resume? I know his resume. He's more than just a criminal. He was running the KGB. Of course, he like was saying- a... yeah. That'd be like saying George H.W. Bush was a criminal because of our views on the CIA. I mean, that just not is, I'm sorry, and I'll say this because I've met ex-KGB officials, and I I can say it was better intelligence than we had during the Cold War, trust me. I mean, I don't know about the other intelligence, but their human, or their human intelligence agency was the best the best and there are very talented people who are around putin but there's another problem there's another problem there's another problem you're discounting and this is a very important point which i think also talks about dictatorship in general including talking about donald trump so here is the main point not a dictator but go ahead not yet and here's the thing i know that a lot of people on the left love talking about how oh putin is hitler and how donald trump is a dictator donald trump is orange hitler exactly and i stand by that but here's the point there is a problem that occurs 
when you are somebody who sees a lot of these craptastic media outlets talking about these talking points, and then people get who are of that mentality, they get into this problem where, shit, I'm never going to say anything that these people are agreeing with, so now you've caught yourself in a bit of a trap. If MSNBC... Well, that's, that's certainly not me. No, I'm not saying that it's you, but I'm saying that this is a tendency that people can sometimes have when they go into any circle, be it left, be it right, so you're talking, any kind look, of industry. You're talking about bias, right? Yes, I'm talking about bias, but I'm talking okay. specifically about something Are, that is so... Didn't your family escape from the Soviet Union? They escaped from the Soviet Union, yeah. You don't Have you explored bias in yourself? I'm not I'm, saying you are. I'm just saying, have you been, taken an objective done an objective self-evaluation of where your views come from. I know you're very well-read. I know you do your research. So, but what I'm saying is even if you're well-read and you do your research, like we both are. Yes. It, for me, it, it takes like a, a, a catalytic event to like change my view on something because it's, and I am not saying that I ever participate in confirmation bias, but there, I think there's almost a subconscious, um, tendency uh, to to gravitate towards certain sources. You see what I mean? And it's it, it is a struggle every day to make myself watch like Morning Joe because I I just can't stand that guy. He sniffs all the time and it's disgusting. But you know, like and to watch every single thing I can at least for like or, or listen to it on my podcast. And you know, at, I try to get like 15 minutes of each one in because there's only so many hours in the day. I try to get the headlines because I want to I, I want to challenge myself. And then so what I'm asking you, though, is and you don't have to answer, but I, I, I will answer. Well, oh, go ahead. Here we go. So I am that was I am the perfect I am the perfect I am the perfect uh, experiment here. Because most of my time, as far as news outlets goes, look at my Twitter timeline. Look at who I follow on Twitter. See the sheer amount of pro-Trump people, MAGA people, people who are against the current thing, and also being 4chan adjacent as far as always going on 4chan, going on poll, looking what at the news. What is 4chan? I actually don't know what I'll that get is. to that a little bit later. Don't worry. I'm not going to forget okay. that. But the point is that I am constantly surrounded by as many sources as you could possibly think of of information that are saying the exact opposite of what I think is the case. So as I, far I, as I my... I got to point out, though, you just listed all of those assets are on Twitter. Twitter... YouTube, as far as like Six Hex and Hammer Six 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 goes, I'm a big admirer of his work, even though I do disagree with him. But Sticks is somebody who has been very pro-Trump, against America, intervening in Ukraine, and I listen to him a lot. In fact, I love in the morning drinking my coffee, can you, listening to Sticks. Put all these in the um, when you post this video, because sure, I'm sure, sure. In the scene. Because Absolutely. I mean, I uh, I actually I actually made friends with a guy named oh, what is it like? I think it's like Mr. Pickle or something like that. And don't, you know, don't run away with that. But let me know. I was on a, on a space and sometimes I, I make a point to a couple of times a week, just pick a random space and just listen to it. Just so I could get the, the pulse of people from that. I might not normally listen to And I've got to say, this was a discussion about, you know, Israel and Hamas. And uh, it was a, pr obviously it was, it was a really, pro Hamas channel like like I'm not saying pro Palestine this is like a pro Hamas channel and Americans which is really scary that's a topic for another day because I'm like 
I mean, whoa, like time out. Like I'm listening to these people justifying things. I can't believe they're justifying, but that aside and Mr. Pickle gets on there. He's, uh, he sounds legitimately um, like an Arabic speaker. He says he's from the area. I speak Arabic. So I know the accent, you know, you, you know fake Russian accent when you hear one, I'm sure. And um, it's like, uh, he was so well articulated making such great points and doing it in such a great way to allow for the, um, you know, analysis of those even crazy topics that had been laid out and keeping is cool because I don't know if I could keep that cool. And it was just like, honestly, it was like romper room, man. It was like, they're just throwing shit at this guy, like no matter how. And I, I was so impressed with them. And then I, I read his Substack, and he's pro, he's pro Ukraine, like all the way. He's got his little flag and everything like, like all you fellas do. And, um, but he, um, even in his Substack, I could see him constantly challenging his own research, his own outcomes and constantly updating, you know, and I, I think there's a lesson to be learned. There is like, we have to constant, we have to constantly relook our old work, relook our old views because it's not so much that we're changing. It's that the world is constantly changing. So you could be, you know, uh, anti, um, Ukraine defense tomorrow. If you found out certain things, just like I was always pro president of the United States, even under Obama, I didn't like a lot of things. I was like, okay, you know, this is all right. Benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt. This is the first time in my life I've ever despised an administration. I would have never thought I'd think like this four years ago, ever. So what I'm saying is what I learned from this guy is that I think he figured out that like he's not really challenging himself. He's he's like in a canoe and just trying to navigate it. And that's what it feels like. And I, I think we all should be, and you, you do a good job of that. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, you're on my show, which is Unrestricted Invasion, which is every uh, Monday and uh, Monday and Thursday nights, eight o'clock at DailyClout.io, um, but uh, with JJ Carroll. But you and JJ got on there. Now you got this guy who's um, you know my age, twenty-four year veteran on the border, hardcore guy, very smart guy. He's he's published author, and then and then Lev, how I'm guessing you're twenty-five. Oh, um, oh, you flatter me. No, I'm not 25. Guess how old I am. In fact, no, in the chat, in the chat, guess how old I am. Write it in the chat, and I'll tell you guys later. So anyway, as far as what you're talking about, though, I couldn't agree mm -hmm. more. I think it's very important to keep all of our biases in check, but that's like why I said that the things that I'm constantly surrounded by. I love by, the way you guys went. Oh, yeah. Like, honestly, like, I didn't know how that was going to end, and I'm like... JJ's getting like like a bull, like he's a, and he's keeping it together. Then it's like, and you're like, like you do, you're like a honey badger, like with you know, you're getting your point through. And so it was really interesting uh, to watch. And I loved watching guys come together. And he just adored you after that. It was great. So, all right. Speaking of coming together, we have the great and powerful Benjamin Sklar joining us on Break the Rules. Benjamin, I really appreciate you coming in right now and talking to us about this. And people are guessing my age on uh, on uh, the uh, chat. Benjamin, I told you how old I am, and you said that that was kind of surprising. So we will find out in the chat uh, who exactly gets it right. But anyway, for those who do not know, Benjamin, you are a ex-IDF 
paratrooper. And Brian, apparently, I found this out for the first time today, also paratrooper. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Lev. Great to connect, Brian. Great to connect with you. Where are you in the world? Well, right now, it looks like I'm a hostage myself with this horrible <laughs> background. But no, I'm in my, uh, we're in the Hudson Valley um in a like very old house that we love and um so um yeah somewhere near hudson beautiful um i'm not being cagey i just you know it would take too long to describe where i am so you know near hudson in hudson valley new york and how about you i'm in long island near love uh, part of long island i'm in near west hampton oh yeah okay okay i know exactly where you are i do a lot of work i've done a lot of work down on that the, those reservations down there nice how do you, how do you know Lev? How do we know each other? It was like one of the streams that uh, uh, a former uh, member of Break the Rules invited uh, you on. And uh, from there on in, we started talking and finally we got back in touch recently. But I think it's very interesting. Number one, it's very interesting how the lighting is also very similar between you two guys. but And the fact that you guys are both ex-paratroopers. Uh, and also the most interesting thing here, I think, is that it's important right now to get somebody who has a connection with Israel, who was in the IDF, to mm. talk about what exactly is going on in the greater scheme of things when it comes to Israel going into Gaza and what it means for geopolitics in the entire world. Because we had Saudi, for instance, that was about to be very friendly with Israel, with the Abraham Accords, and now all of a sudden this happens. And I still bet, and I don't know what you uh, think, Benji, but I bet that a lot of the people who are in the royal family in Saudi, they don't want any of this stuff to happen. They just want to peacefully trade with Israel and, you know, sign the Abraham Accords. But I also feel like there is a lot of pressure from imams within that region and other uh, Islamic regions that are going to basically like chop the heads off of all the leaders who would not fall in line when things get too intense. So in a way, I feel like Islam is a radical Islam is kind of being used right now or, or will be used in the future to get a repeat of the Yom Kippur War. Now, I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but I think there's going to be attempt or there was an attempt to do that. That's what's on my mind right now about the question of like the bigger, you know, the uh, the bigger scope of this. Uh, Benjamin, what do you think? Wow. Uh, regarding Saudi Arabia, everyone's been talking about how the reason Hamas attacked was because Saudi Arabia was going to sign a peace agreement with Israel and Hamas, Iran didn't want that to happen. I think a lot of people need to understand the difference between Sunni and Shia mm -hmm. and how that plays a role in what's going on in the region because Iran is Shia, Hezbollah is Shia, but Saudi Arabia is Sunni as well as Hamas. So there's a lot of interpolitics I can imagine amongst those parties that we Americans, we Jews don't appreciate there's civil wars amongst the arab nations that just have to do with islam and and i looked into the difference between sunni and shia and it comes down mm -hmm. to who followed muhammad who after muhammad passed who took power after he, yeah. he died ali and, abu Bakr, whole uh, game of thrones thing there 
And uh, it, they even have this thing where the Fatimi dynasty was named after Fatima, who was the daughter of Muhammad, and allegedly what went down was that Fatima's house was attacked and burned down uh, by Omar, who ended up being the guy after Abu Bakr, who uh, took charge and became caliph. So there's been like this blood feud going back of, you know, like this blame game uh, where, you know, you had the Fatimid dynasty versus the Abbasid dynasty, who had the black flag and the Fatimids had the white flag so yeah benjamin like you're absolutely on point here there has been this animosity and i have another question here unless there is one more thing that you wanted to add regarding that particular animosity because i did want to bring up syria but go ahead well what's on my mind is learning about brian and his background and why you're <laughs> on the check out the private chat <laughs> Just... Yeah, that's going to give you all the information about Brian. Brian, uh, for those who are just tuning in right now, uh, ex-Special Forces, private investigator, husband of the wonderful uh, Naomi Wolf, and uh, you know, ex-paratrooper, as we said before, uh, and in the um, ex-military, specifically the Special Forces Intel Division. So, you know, very, very, very smart guy. Uh, gives me a nice, uh, you know, fighting opponent for the debate that we were having about Ukraine oh, before, before you got here. But yeah. uh, but regarding regarding Syria right now, so I wanted to rewind things a little bit back. Wait, a bit, wait, wait really sure, can, sure. Can we first hear about Ben, and then I'll talk about myself, just so people know who these guys are that they're listening to. Sure, absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, Ben, I would love for you to uh, talk a little bit about yourself. I do want to say also that you have been an incredibly motivational person for Brian. Brian's been listening to your motivational yeah, uh, conversation. So uh, tell us a little bit about Thu, and then I promise you guys we're going to get to Syria. We're going to get to Syria. Anyway, Benjamin, okay. go for it. So my background is I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. My mother mm -hmm. is from Mexico City. My father is an American Jew. My mother mm -hmm. grew up Catholic in a big Mexico City family and met my father in law school and converted to Judaism. And I have two older siblings. I went to college in Massachusetts, played football at Amherst College, which is a liberal arts school. Mm -hmm. And then I decided to join the IDF rather than going to work on Wall Street like my peers. And I, and I worked at Goldman Sachs, my, my junior summer internship. I was on the track right. of going to work on Wall Street, but I, I wanted to serve in the Israeli military. I always had a chip on my shoulder that I wanted to serve in the IDF, and mm -hmm. I volunteered. I didn't have to. I'm not Israeli. I have no family in Israel. Yeah. Can I ask really quickly how – I didn't know you could do that. How does that work? If you, if you are Jewish and mm -hmm. you check the boxes for the IDF, you can – fly to Israel and enlist and, become, okay. and serve amongst the Israeli population as if you're one of them. You don't get any oh. benefits or privilege. And the, the country takes care of you. Like cab drivers will give me free rides. Hotels will give me That's free so rooms. Cool. Restaurants will give me free meals. The, the country, awesome. society will take care of you. But at the end of the day, you're just one of them. You get the same salary, the same everything. And then I, yeah, I mean, that would be almost irresistible for any young man looking for something beyond the horizon. That's a little more exciting. I mean, that's, that's kind of cool. And what a great idea. I mean, to get yeah. troops. And my, my parents, my friends were very against the idea at the time. Why would you go move to Israel, join an army and fight a fight that's mm -hmm. not your fight, quote unquote. 
when you could be uh, building a career, a life in America. And, and why not just join the U.S. military? You're American. You're not Israeli. At the time, I didn't have an Israeli passport. So why wouldn't you go join the U.S. military and serve mm-hmm. in Iraq or Afghanistan or Germany or Japan, etc.? So those were all considerations I took. I, I was groomed to go to West Point. I almost went to West Point. Mm. And I decided to join the IDF. And it was the best decision I ever made. Mm. And today it's very... Interesting because to half of the world, it's something that I would want to hide. They wouldn't want, if they knew I was an IDF soldier, they would see me as the enemy, the terrorist, the bad guy, someone who doesn't understand the world. But the other side of the community, the part of the part of the world that I am involved in, sees me as a hero, as someone who did something that was honorable. And that's how I see it as well. But especially walking around New York City, where I work as a lawyer in Times Square, and seeing the pro-Hamas rallies, uh, it's very interesting yeah, that's so to be a, a, an IDF veteran in today's world. Oh. Wow, I don't even know what to say. I mean, first of all, I want to say thank you, Brian, because I have this habit of getting to like the subjects without the introductions sometimes. So I really appreciate that. And uh, Benjamin, I really appreciate you uh, coming here. And when it comes to why Israel, obviously, it worked out as far as uh, the uh, joy that you found in it and the people that you got to connect with. But going back to that question that people ask, why not America? Why Israel? The answer, looking back, I believe, was I I would have gotten more meaning out of serving in the Israeli military than I would have gotten out of joining the Israeli, the American army. I, I identified as Jewish, and I thought that I could yeah. make more of a contribution and an impact by serving the Israeli army than I would in the U.S. army. And, That's fair. And I just felt like they needed me more. And... Yeah. Maybe there was some some selfish aspect to it where it would have benefited me more long term as a career play serving the IDF than the U.S. military. But I, I don't think I thought like that at the time. I th- now, right. But I think now I believe it. I believe it has because I'm very involved with the Israeli business community. Sure. But it could, it could also help you. I mean, it's, yeah, I think anytime you're in, yeah. you know, a serious soldier, I don't mean like a two-year enlistment guy like we used to have here. And I'm not saying that's bad if you only did two years, but I don't know. How long were you in before I was put my in my mouth? Two years. Two years. Because yeah. I think you guys have the two-year enlistment, but in the U.S. military, you guys work that whole time. I know that. Whereas in the U.S. military, they used to have these two-year enlistments and it's kind of like, by the time you got through admin, it's almost over. Like they never really did anything. Mm-hmm. So no offense. Mm-hmm. How long did you serve? Like that, yeah. uh, I served for eleven years active duty. Wow, incredible. Yeah. Where did you serve? So I was. Um, I served every. I w- so I I went to language school and I learned Arabic, and then um, after that, I think, you know, because I was in the intelligence field, that's what I qualified for and and, and signed up for. So my first unit of note was 5th Special Forces, which deals exclusively with um, Middle East, North Africa. And, you know, I was in the 101st before that. And then after that, I did a, a strategic position. 
And then I was with uh, First Special Forces, which deals with Southeast Asia. Um, and these are the Green Beret units. So I was um, the detachment intel sergeant in charge of the small teams that would go out ahead of the Green Beret teams and either embed themselves or hide themselves to collect on um, all the people that want to do us harm. Um, but in terms of where I went, I went to 47 different countries because as I'm sure you know, because we've done some work in your area, um, special forces doesn't, like they do so many, I would call them uh, conflicts or situations that there's, you don't even hear about them. Like you're, they're not secret. It's just that like, for instance, if you see there's a rebellion in Uganda, you can guarantee a special forces units already deployed um, or like Haiti or something like that. So it was a, a lot of like two month deployments or three month deployments. The longest one was actually the Philippines after 9-11 um, down in Zamboanga. And I was there for like almost a year. Like, and uh, I loved it. Like, honestly, I loved my whole military experience. Um, as hairy as some things got because yeah i mean it was just like it was easy i gotta say like i was i don't mean easy physically you get used to anything but i just like the fact that you could literally always focus on your job and never worry about money mm -hmm. that was just nice yeah because you they provided you housing food we get paid well i mean in our military i don't know if we still do but like you, you know it People see the base pay mm -hmm. and they're like, yeah, that's not that much. And in the grand scheme of things, it's not. But you got to remember, you're paying very little in taxes. Like, you know, you're paying, you don't pay state tax. Your base pay is so low. So you pay very little federal tax. And then there's all these extras. Like I got language pay. I got uh, parachute pay. Um, these are like 250 225 extra a month and they add up. And then if you live off base, they give you basic housing allowance, which is like two grand a month on top of your salary. So yeah, it's a good paycheck. And, but I mean, I wasn't rich, but I was comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, but it, again, it was nice because I never had to worry about anything, but getting really good at my job and then training my soldiers to be really good at theirs. And, you know, just focusing so much on the job. I've never had that before or ever since. So that was nice. And what is daily clout? Ah, Daily Clout is a, a news media. Um, I'm going to get this wrong, and she's sitting in the other room. But uh, basically, <laughs> it's, it's a news media tech platform. It also has, um, you know, a couple features like Bill Cam, where you could read live bills as they're going through, comment on them, get the embed codes, stick it in your social media, throw comments right at the people drafting them, and then it's also um, got a uh, almost like a CRM type of function called Communities where people can mount major campaigns to, you know, do some good, make a difference. For example, um, my wife, uh, Naomi Wolf, who owns it, and her um, COO, Amy Kelly, led three, and are still leading 3,000 volunteers who have been sifting through 55,000 Pfizer documents, um, looking for the adverse events that are in those documents. Mm -hmm. They were just being kept from the, um, from the American people. And they got they they were forced to the FDA was forced to release them, you know, per a, a, a Texas Supreme Court. But fifty five thousand, you know, scientific documents. How to get through that? So they crowdsourced it using communities, and um, they produced a book, and they produced like eighty nine different reports on 
things that were reported by Pfizer to the FDA that were being kept from the American people. Wow. So that's an example of what they do. And then we have like really cool shows like mine, which is on Mondays and uh, Thursdays at it. I'm doing the marketing thing on purpose just to get love. But um, so I do a show with my friend, JJ Carroll would love to have you on. It's um, called uh, unrestricted invasion where he was 24 years on the border and then my knowledge. And then we just kind of, you know, it's kind of like the, it's like talking now, like we do that, but we let the crowd participate and we go over issues and we bring in guests. Like we had a guest in from the daily caller last night, who's up on the main border reporting on Chinese illegal hemp growing industries. Um, and then, um, yeah, there's different videos on different channels, I guess. We have a mindfulness coach on there. She's great. Her name is Aura. We have uh, Shannon Joy. She's a well-known radio uh, caster. My wife, of course, is uh, does the Geneva Bible readings, which is really cool. But she also does current events and Pfizer updates and stuff like that. So a whole lot of things. Fascinating. Like a community kind of mm -hmm. thing. It's kind of cool. And when it comes to communities, that is something that is very important for a lot of Americans as well as a lot of Israelis, which is what I think a lot of people who are anti-Israel are missing, just how much, as far as I understand, Israel takes care of the, uh, you know, of, uh, the Israeli people there, that there is a lot of value that is put in. And I think one of the things that Americans who are anti-Israel, who are not on the left but are more on the right, what they are afraid of the most is when it comes to Israel, they kind of see there being a lack of this same kind of care when it comes to the American government. And Brian, I'm curious like what your thoughts are on this as well, of the American government to the American people, where they almost see like, oh, all this money is going to Israel, and the American politicians are like part of APAC, and they just care about giving money to Israel, and they don't give a crap about the American people. Why should we like Israel? So that is the argument that a lot of people who are more on the right, who are anti-Israel, are putting forth. I'm curious, uh, Benjamin, if you have any thoughts on that, and uh, Brian as well. You take the mic, Brian. Yeah, I'll make it quick. Um, I would say the problem is not anything that's going on in the world. Those people just need to get a clue because you said, you know, they think it's because, like, for example, APAC is just donating money and stuff like that, but the Biden administration supports funding Israel. So it's, it's truly, uh, you know, uh, you know, a transpartisan issue, if you will. Um, I just don't think people know enough to really make good assessments and they're letting social media and trends make decisions for them because I've talked to a lot of people and um, I know, I know the area well, I know the politics exceptionally well, not as well as, some people, but I know that stuff well. And there's some people that, and I know it well, but I have to admit, I didn't even know that Hamas was Sunni. That's news to me. Um, so I learned something tonight. I always just assumed they were Shia. Mm -hmm. um, but people just don't know. Like, for instance, a lot of people don't know that, you know, Hamas is, was technically the, the government, <laughs> you know, and um, people like, or people don't know what a terrorist group is. Like there's some people that don't really know who Osama bin Laden is. And so there are people who I, don't I know who Hitler is. There's people that, well, most people in China have never heard of the Tiananmen square massacre. So what I'm saying is I, I can't really make that assessment of what they're thinking. I can say the amount of data, this, the studies you could actually read on HHS about the effect of social media 
on you know just your ability to concentrate i just don't think people are are really that clued in as they used to be and i think that's by design because so much is coming at them like artillery that no one dives deep anymore unless you've got the time and you know it's your job like it's my job i'm lucky but if i had a full-time job and you know baby and everything like that it's like I'd have to make the time and shut off devices and ignore left and right media, all sorts of media and read. And, mm. and I always will read, 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 and then only watch TV and social media, get a feel for the pulse of the people, but never let the people decide what is the facts. Well, before Benjamin responds, I just want to respond to what Brian said, where while I do agree with that uh, great assessment, I would add that there's more of a guttural thing that I think is going on when it comes to a feeling of dissatisfaction that a lot of people have, and they build up resentment towards people who, in a way, are doing something that they themselves would like to do. For instance, when I went around in Brooklyn, I went to these more, let's say, conservative Jewish neighborhoods, and they were very trad in the sense, like, a lot of the very online people are longing for the trad lifestyle. You know, the women are wearing, like, these nice, flowy dresses. Traditional. More based in, you know, traditional gender roles, you know, things of that nature. And the focus on the family is very much a part of Jewish life. Like, that's going to be a very common thing. You know, you hear about the stereotype of the, you know, extremely overdoting Jewish mother, you know, who constantly makes sure that her son, you know, gets enough to eat and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and always focusing on education, focusing on study, study, study. So, I think that there is a sense almost of jealousy of why are they able to have this ability to get the best out of what they're doing? And Mm. we want that too. And we don't have that. Our politicians aren't like that. So we're going to blame the people who are actually being very successful when it comes to that and attribute any of the problems that are going on in the world to the people who end up uh, being very successful. The only other thing that I would add, though, is that there are people, I mean, I'm Jewish, and I've looked at a lot of, let's say, more left-leaning people who are Jewish. Personally, I think a lot of them are being very dumb, but they're also pretty good at doing certain things. So let's say you grew up in, uh, you know, New York City, you go work for, I don't know, the New Mm -hmm. Republic or some kind of a leftist magazine. And hey, you happen to be pretty good at your job. You know, you got a good education and you were good at your studies. And hey, all of a sudden, you're like the number one person who's really good at doing this particular job. Uh, if it wasn't for you, if you weren't there, if let's say the Jewish people were never like a thing, there would have been somebody else that would have taken that role that would have been, you know, like the best at that role. But hey, you happen to take that role. So when you end up doing something bad for society, people end up blaming the entire like the monolith, people end up blaming all Jews. And that almost seems like and Ben, I'm curious what you think about this. It almost seems like a responsibility that's brought on the shoulders of Jewish people where it's almost like if bad things happen, you know, from somebody within uh, the Jewish uh, community, all Jews are blamed. And it's almost like this kind of pressure to 
let's be the best people we could possibly be and let's try to address a lot of these concerns that people that people have and try and like mm. you know if somebody's causing some trouble we're going to be you know doubling down and fixing that and if not then all of us are going to be blamed so in a way it's like a giant pressure machine that kind of like forces you to get better and figure out like what the problems are in society so as to address them so these or things just, don't happen or, or you just want to or you just want to, but I think like the, the wanting, the yeah. wanting happens, I think kind of from that pressure, but I don't know. That's just like my crazy musings as somebody who's just been observing what's been going on, you know, with the anti-Semitism. But, uh, I know, uh, Benji, any, any thoughts on that? Well, Ben, before you answer that, I want to say what they need to do is go check out Ben's social media yes. and his YouTube. Cause I was checking out just to see who you were. And I was like, Oh, that's true. Yes. So that's why I'm looking forward to your answer on this. Because to me, it sounds like, what, what videos did you see? Sounds like a them problem, not a they problem. What videos did you see or what are you referring to? I think it was on your Instagram or something. You have these like short clips and all this. And yeah, they're, they're pretty good. Thank you. I appreciate that, Brian. Yeah, no problem. Well, you said earlier about how people are just getting artilleried with content and not diving deep. I think that's the essence of the problem. When I think about what's going on with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, I think of it in two arenas. There's on the ground what's actually happening in Israel slash Palestine and the lives of the people over there. And then there's everyone else, the billions of other people who are just talking, thinking about it, watching it online, but not aren't living the reality mm-hmm. of being there. And I'm in the second camp. And why does the second camp even matter? It's because people's opinions somehow influence countries' leadership and the flow of money, the flow of goods, the flow of travel, tourism. There's just so much that goes into the way people think. And what dictates the way people think? Social media. Social media is God in today's world. And who's in charge of social media? The people. Look at TikTok. It's, uh, it's, it's crowdsourced. And, and w- the issue with social media is most people are anti-Israel because they don't believe it has the right to exist because they don't know why Israel exists in the first place. If you walked around Times Square and had a poll, it's, do you believe Israel has the right to exist? I bet the vast majority of people wouldn't even know where Israel is on the map if you showed it to them. Yep. And they wouldn't know the history of Israel, why it even exists. And they would just they just see it as the bad guy. It's the David versus Goliath, good guy versus bad guy. And Israel in today's world is the bad guy. And Israel, we Israelis, are the good guy. We're defending ourselves. We believe we have the right to exist in our ancestral homeland. And if we don't have the right to defend ourselves, where else do you want us to go? Where, where do you want us to immigrate to if you're going to kick us out from the land to the sea? And, and are we going to go to America? Are we going to go to Russia? Where do you want us to go? Mm-hmm. There's nowhere else to go. It's the only place we can be. And so we have to defend ourselves where we are. But people don't want Israel to defend themselves. Or the, the self-defense... The law of the right to self-defense is really under the microscope in Israel. And it's like, 
and then and then it comes into the laws of the laws of war and armed conflict and mm-hmm. and and then you have to really understand those rules and the rules of self-defense and then it gets really murky when you think about the west bank because that's another front in mm-hmm. israel there's syria lebanon gaza egypt jordan and then there's the west bank and the west bank is the thorn in israel's side everywhere else i feel like israel has a very clear right to self-defense but in the west bank it becomes political and mm-hmm. and religious and when religion gets involved it it starts to become murky where the where lines can get drawn you're, you're talking about like where the arabian uh, muslims live versus where the jewish settlers uh, are living right right i'm talking about uh in israel today the government is right wing and is very pro israel's autonomy or right to mm-hmm. govern the west bank and of course there, you can break it down from the oslo accords of area a b and c and you mm-hmm. have to understand that to even join the conversation from an intellectual point of from an intellectual intelligent point of view but having served in the west bank having served in hebron and ramallah and in jerusalem it's really challenging to to foresee a future of israel and jews living in the west bank uh, in peace when the palestinian people wholeheartedly don't want us there it's like at the end of the day, what are we all talking about? What is this war about? Why is why is even Israel Palestine the conflict on the map? Like at the end of the day, we want peace, meaning people stop killing each other and people can send their children to school and not have to be afraid of them getting killed in a terrorist attack. Like if that yeah. that's that's the goal. That's yes. where we all want to go. We have to not be afraid of our children dying. And then how do we get there when the Palestinian people are, I believe, brainwashing through the education system, uh, supporting their children to become martyrs uh, and committing terrorist attacks in the name of jihad, in the name of resistance. And if you have a society that is telling their children it's a good thing, you're a warrior, you're a hero, if you, uh, if you blow yourself up on a, an Israeli bus, how can there ever be peace that like and I and, and so at the end of the day, my final point is who's the leader on the Palestinian side who's gonna stand up and say the our future our future is not based on jihad and blowing ourselves up, but actually shaking hands with our Israeli counterparts and building a brighter future mm-hmm. together. I show mm-hmm. me that Palestinian leader well, the son and, of the Hamas leader who was recently yes. speaking against his father. That's yes. like Love that guy. He's fan- He's yeah. fantastic. Yes. And and there is he also is. a weird thing where, from what I understand, there is a large amount of people who are within Hamas and within various radical Muslim organizations that are actually agents of Mossad and have been working there undercover for a very long time. And that also makes it a very strange situation as far as how do you engage with the Islamic world in general going forward? Because, well, before that, the Katusha rocket situation, that's another big deal in the West Bank from what I heard, because one of the arguments for the settlement not a religious argument, but a purely utilitarian argument, is that if you do not have settlements in that area, more of that area can then be used to have the Katusha rockets then in the firing into Israel. Would you agree that that's the case or not? 
Oh, I don't. I wouldn't use the word katusha rockets. I would just use rockets. Rockets, yes. Cyber rockets, yeah. But yeah. If you talk to Israelis, they would say, "In 2005, we gave Gaza back to the Palestinian people. Look what they did with it. We gave back southern Lebanon. We didn't give it back because it was always theirs, arguably. But we we gave it back from a military standpoint. We gave it back the back Lebanon to." The Lebanese people and look what Hezbollah has done with it. If we're going to give the West Bank to the Palestinian people, what do you think they're going to do with the West Bank? Are they going to turn it into the new Singapore or Hong Kong of the Middle East? Or are they going to turn it into a terrorist state? And that's mm -hmm. why people aren't in support of a two-state solution because they believe that state, the Palestinian state, will become a terrorist state, meaning they'll use all the money to building weapons and have a, a nationalistic goal of destroying the state of Israel. Rather well, and they, they've, shown, they've shown that. I mean, it's not unbased. I mean, you're right. It's like they have shown that. Like all of that support that was supposed to build the infrastructure there, they didn't build their infrastructure. They built their tunnel infrastructure. They built weapons. Those rockets, a lot of them are made from, a lot of the materials that are made meant for something else. Right. So it's, you know, they've demonstrated what they're doing. This does not, you know, of course it doesn't speak for everyone there, you know, but what I will say is this is like, well, yeah, actually, let me let you finish your thought because I was about to segue out of this towards mm. propaganda, but I don't want to cut you off. No, you're not cutting me off. And I'm just t t t back a few points. The Palestinian mm -hmm. leader, let's say the son of Hamas becomes the Palestinian leader. He won't be because uh, a political leader is voted by the people and if the people mm -hmm. are in favor of hamas and their use of violence and terrorism then they're never going to find a pacifist someone who wants to be uh, uh, trying to create a peace agreement and then if I'm, I'm just picturing our audience and the the leaders of the student organizations on campuses who are pro hamas they're going to be calling me i can i already know what they're saying because i follow all the pro-Palestinian mm -hmm. accounts on social media, and I listen to what they have to say, and they say that Israel is the terrorist state. What about Israel killing all the babies in Gaza? What were, were the violent ones? And it's so hard to no. c communicate with someone who, at the end of the day, doesn't recognize Israel's right to exist. At the end, if 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 you don't recognize our right to exist, we'll never be able to be in conversation and actually have dialogue because you don't see our, like, you don't believe we should be here. We shouldn't, we, we, you don't see our ancestral birthright to living in the land of Israel. Mm. And, and, and like, it's so sad because Muslims and Jews are brothers. Abraham, both of our founding father was this guy named Abraham who lived in modern day Iraq. And he had two sons. Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was the first Arab, and Isaac is the second Jew. And we're and here we are, brothers fighting, killing each other for thousands of years over land and religion. And I feel like if we could just all get slapped in the face and wake up and realize, hey, we're all ants on this planet, killing each other over these religious beliefs. Why don't we? put down our arms and realize how much good we could do together, how much 
we could improve each other's lives and the lives of our families and our future children and the generations to come if we just if we just reread the the Torah and the Quran in different ways to realize that we should be helping each other rather than hurting each other. It's uh, definitely a lofty goal to achieve. The certain things that may end up getting in the way is that, as far as the, correct me if I'm wrong, the Quran goes, they have a long history of jurisprudence where it's passed down from a you know, master to a disciple as far as religious uh, things having to do with how you conduct war, uh, morality laws. The government and the religion are one in that sense. And with Israel, it's slightly weird because on one hand, it's supposed to be like a Jewish government. But on the other hand, you get uh, all the gay parades in Tel Aviv and you have, you know, a lot of liberalism within uh, the state of Israel. So I say, wait a minute. Well, what about all of the, you know, Torah based, uh, you know, laws having to do with like the stoning of the, uh, what was it, Mary Magdalene? You remember like the... Uh, all of that hard, you know, Stone Age stuff, you know, uh, pardon the pun, you know, it's stoning. But it's like we have these books that some people are able to not take as, let's say, seriously, except for like the ultra, ultra Orthodox, some of whom actually don't want Israel to exist because the Messiah hasn't arrived yet, as you know. But then we also have people who understand the core of a lot of what the religions are talking about as far as at the end of the day i personally think ben and brian i don't know if you agree that we are all one and that we should respect every one of us as being you know a branch of the same tree here but when it comes to the kind of programming that people some people have when it comes to i would rather this life be sacrificed for the greater good you know, on one hand, it could be a very noble thing, but on the other hand, it means that kids, little kids, get celebrated as martyrs, you know, when, they, uh, when they're when uh, they killed, or the uh, teenage sons get celebrated as martyrs when they suicide bomb themselves. And this is something that I've seen, like, the videos of mothers, you know, like, celebrating the fact that their own kids, like, in uh, Gaza, ended up becoming these martyrs. And so, like, man... That is going to be like a project that would take generations and generations to change. Do you know? Have you heard of radicalization and and how a lot of that works? I mean, you know, and and Ben, I, I don't know if you're you've seen this. I'm sure you have, but a lot of that uh, pre-martyr, I don't know what you even call it, like indoctrination is. It's it's very. Um, I don't know, like, so you decide you're going to, you know, start hanging out with the, you know, more radical Muslims, you know, because they make sense, that sort of thing. And then you do. And then before you know it, you're, I'm not saying they're all innocent, but what I am saying, it's, it's kind of like they, they do celebrate your death before you die a lot of times. And, and I can't speak for Hamas, but a lot of the terrorist groups that I've gone against and, and targeted, they celebrate your martyrdom before you die and they reward your families a lot before you die. And then it becomes one of these things where like you kind of got to do it at that point because they're going to lose everything and be thrown out or worse of society because you're already a hero. What do you mean you didn't go through with it? That's so there is a lot of that kind of societal pressure in, in, in that those communities where extremism is really acute where it, it's, it's, you know, I hate, 
there's something I want to say, like it reminds me of, but I don't want to, but I, I will say that it's, it's kind of like when, I don't know. It's like, if you've ever made friends with someone and they come from like a very, you know, like pressuring family. And before you know it, you're like robbing a bank, you know, it's, it's kind of like that. You're like, how'd I get here? And you can't back out because it's, they already bought your mom, the new house. They already, you know, made sure that your family has protection, the implied threat, and they don't threaten. But the implication is, well, if you're not a martyr, you don't get all this stuff. They let you know you're a martyr and what it feels like to be a martyr before you even die in a lot of cases. Ben, have you seen that radicalization? On that point, I, I know that when a Palestinian dies due to an act of terrorism, the Palestinian Authority will pay the family a stipend i believe for an for years decades i don't know the details but the pay for slay law of the palestinian authority where if someone commits an act of terrorism the palestinian government will incentivize the or a sponsor the family which really comes questions the incentives that are being promoted but like earlier here i was talking like a a, a leftist Peace. Why can't we all get along? Why can't we all be friends? Come on, guys. After October 7th, that whole narrative of a two-state solution, why can't we be friends, was taken off the table for millions of Israelis and Jews around the world because of that barbaric act where they slaughtered and murdered over 1,200 Israeli civilians yeah. on Saturday morning. And, and when you read the Israeli news and what we should be talking about, because this is really the big question that's out there today, is what's going to happen to Gaza? Israel doesn't know. Israelis don't know what is going to happen to Gaza. At the end of the day, let's say Israel destroys Hamas, which is not really possible because it's an idea. You can't destroy an idea, but you can destroy all of the military infrastructure. You can destroy the yes. tunnels, the buildings, the, you can kill the people. Like You could technically destroy Hamas, but at the end of the day, there you are with this massive piece of land called Gaza, relatively speaking, millions of people, and, and who's going to govern it? Is Israel going to govern it? No, I don't think so. But obviously so many Israelis do want that because there, there's no way Israelis move back to those kibbutzes along the Gaza border mm-hmm. unless they know that is that Gaza is secure. Yeah. And they thought Gaza was secure before October 7th, but that was a false reality. And so mm-hmm. now the question amongst Israeli society I, I hear, is who's going to govern Gaza? Is it Egypt, America, the EU, NATO? There's only one solution, and that is that, you know, and I'm not for or against this. I don't really have an opinion on what another country should do. Speaking from, sorry to cut you off, if I may. And then Please. Um, and the reason I, I told Lev earlier, I haven't slept in like three days. I'm in a nonstop podcast. So it's like, if I lose a thought, just get me back on track. But, you know, speaking from a strictly military history, which was, you know, one of my deep core undergrad subjects. And of course, in my work as an intelligence analyst, it's just lots of that. 
perforated states can't survive. Mm-hmm. You, you, you just cannot survive if your state is perforated, meaning you have territory with inside or almost inside your, your country that is not yours. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You, it's indefensible. It's or, or a split state can't work. That's why I mean, that's a real cause of the Civil War. You cannot you cannot break up the Union because it will fall. It will crumble. Um, and really, if there's there's two solutions, no one gets it, and everyone leaves, which obviously that's not reality, or one of them gets it, and the other ones have to go, because honestly, and that's again not my opinion, but that's I guess that's like military stri- history strategic opinion, because at the end of the day, it, you know, even if it enrages every country over there, let's not forget everything Israel does enrages every country over there, unless you're Jordan and you're getting, you know, a good deal on, on water and power, you know, for a long time, but uh, which no one ever talks about as the exchange of, you know, resources that people enjoy from Israel, even Arab states. Um, but the, um, the point is, it's like, you cannot, it's, it's indefensible long-term to have a perforated state. You just can't do it. So if it were me, as humanely, I guess, as possible, because the world opinion does count, I'd be investing in two things, like A, just taking it, and B, buying as much media as I could to make sure when I take it, even if I am humane, that the world knows I was, or as best as I can. I mean, let's face it, it's war, and we have an enemy that does actually hide behind civilians and puts tunnels under and I've been to that area. Like this is not something I saw on TikTok. It's like, this is real. Like this is, they make, and they're not the only ones. Everyone, all these like horrible organizations or terrorist groups, they always hide behind civilians. I mean, they always do because, and then they have the cameras ready all the time. So in closing, I'll say this, and I did a lot of work in propaganda. I can't get into the details of what I did. I did a lot of work in propaganda on a major scale, um, possibly in that area. And I will say this. It's like, buyer, be left, right, doesn't matter who you are. When you're reading a newspaper article or you're watching a video, if it opens up with the targeting of your emotions, don't believe it. Don't believe it. Because... They don't have facts, so they rely on feelings. If they open up, if the story opens up saying, today in Gaza, this happened, this happened, this happened, link, link, link. Okay, that's one you want to read. I'm not saying believe it, but read it. But if they open up with, once again, babies were dying and mothers were crying and there was sadness all around, that's when you know it's a bullshit propaganda story is playing on your emotions. Go ahead. I love that. And talking about the right and the left if it's a spectrum and israel's response is on that spectrum the far right israel could just drop an atomic bomb on gaza and kill everyone overnight it could wipe out gaza if it wanted to easily Mm -hmm. but it's not doing that because israel has values and morals and doesn't want to do that to the palestinian people we the, the israeli people are 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 so hurt by seeing the videos of the of the Palestinian kids and babies being unfortunately 
injured and killed in Gaza. We hate seeing that. We're we're not mm-hmm. celebrating that. We're hurt just like everyone else is. That and and so, and but people don't believe that. People think that we're celebrating that or we're, we 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 want that. And it's flawed. The only problem with Benjamin is that it seems that no matter how much proof you can give people of, oh, Israel's trying to help in this way, and it has these roof-knocking techniques that warn civilians before a building is going to be destroyed because Hamas is inside of it, none of that seems to matter. It almost seems, and this is going to sound very strange, but please bear with me, do you think that there are certain facets of our society that would actually start respecting Israel more if Israel becomes harder and if Israel becomes, let's say, more, uh, how do I I say this the right way, you know, more aggressive, where the aggression would be something that would be respected while any lenience is actually seen as an insult, as strange as it is to say. I don't know. Uh, What do you think? Can I answer that? Sure. Do you mind it, Ben, if I go first? Please. Um. Respectfully, I don't think that's the right question, or I guess the, the you know the, the right question to ask. I, I would say it's it's constantly changing. I, I do want to point out that like the same people that organized ceasefire or stop the genocide, whatever it is, these are the same people that organized Ruth sent us. These are the same people that organized BLM. So you may have noticed these things pop up on demand. Uh, so the question I would, uh, to answer your question, I don't think it matters. I mean, we, we've already established the fact that most people are unaware of history, are led by social media. Really, the focus should be if you know you're right, you know, or even if you know you're wrong, because the wrong people are already doing this. No matter what message you want to convey, it's not about getting people to understand because they will never understand unless they do the work Yeah, and perp. Per Ben's awesome videos, he really goes into this in, in some of them. Like, you got to do the work. You got to work on yourself. You want to be better. You want to be sharp like a knife and have that that brain. You got to do the work. You got to do the heavy lifting. Got to go to the mental gym, which is called a book. Uh, they're not going to do that, you know, if they're hooked on social media. So in, in, in that case, what you have to do from a propaganda, from a global propaganda standpoint, yes, you got to hit the academics with, you know, good discussion. They're a very small part. You got to just do repetition, repetition and real estate. Like you got to own the real estate. I think we're, we're, I think Israel is, and my wife is Jewish and um, my, my brother-in-law has been in the IDF as well. And uh, I'm a better shooter than he is, but that, you know, Um, but the, uh, the thing is like, there are people that will just never get it. Like, and, and, and this is, this is like mental subversion at, I'm sure we've all run into those very smart kids that are like 26 and you show them documents and you show them proof. You can show them a video and you're like, no, this guy actually kicked the puppy into the gutter. There he is. Here's a statement from him saying he kicked the puppy into the gutter. Here's an apology from him. Here's the puppy going into the gutter. But once they once they they are propagandized, it doesn't matter. You but, but that's kind of my point, them. though. I, I just want to make sure you understand my point that there have always been societies which were ruled by an autocrat 
who made sure that the society was extremely safe, not because people listened to reason, but because they knew that if they were to disobey the law, their head would meet an unfortunate dislocation from their body. And these are very violent, very guttural kind of situations mm. to be in. But I think that culture-wise, there's all kinds of different cultures in the world, but there are also cultures that I genuinely believe respect that kind of mode where they know that if you screw up then it's going to be hell to pay and they would look at the europeans the americans being very friendly and cordial as weakness they would see it like osama bin laden was talking about who do you respect more like the strong yeah. horse or the weak horse so i know benjamin uh, any Got thoughts it, i was on, answering yeah. a different question uh, i apologize oh no no so, no, no worries I, I knew exactly what you were asking lev when you asked that question and i think the israeli military leadership sees its enemy, which is the group of 12 men sitting around the table in Qatar and, and Beirut and Gaza City and thinking, how can we teach these men a lesson not to come after us? We're going to use force and make them learn the lesson the hard way rather than through diplomacy. We're going to punch them in the mouth. And that's what's happening in Israel today. And yes, Israel makes mistakes. We all make mistakes. But when you call Israel a terrorist state or they're committing war crimes, it all comes down to the facts. If we were to go to the International Criminal Court or any court and accuse Israel of committing a crime, show me the facts and we're going to appeal it, whatever you say. So it's going to go to the appeals court and we're going to have to review the facts even further. And everything has to be under fine law of what happened and why was that justified or not and i believe everything or 99 of what israel is doing in gaza would pass a judge's thumbs up or down under the laws of war but even more so the things that are being followed in the laws of war maybe not even that is enough to unfortunately earn the respect of 90% uh, of the world, where even like the protests that we've seen here in the United States, and not just for what's going on right now with Israel and Palestine, but other, let's say, very left-leaning causes, it almost seems like whenever some social media figures come around and say, oh, I'm sorry that I was such a bigot, and so on and so forth, the piling on gets even stronger against that person. The moment you apologize, the moment you show any kind of weakness, it's almost like that they are able to smell it and engage even more versus being of a position where you show so much force that they just like instinctually just like shut up and just like yes sir yes sir yes sir and that kind of keeps the uh you know society functioning but the other point that i wanted to get to as far as syria because i mentioned syria before this is something that's been on my mind for quite a while i was looking you know about the things like with isis and things of that nature when engaging who exactly the people are who are funding Hamas right now, it is Iran. You could say it's also China, Russia, but I could get into that a little bit later. But if we stick with Iran right now and look at the situation that occurred in Syria, the problem that I think some, again, people on the right have when it comes to the military-industrial complex in the United States, I'm not even going to talk about Israel at this point, but just like, let's say, military-industrial complex in general, inter international military-industrial complex, that if one goal of a lot of the neoconservatives has been to take the power of Iran away 
and that's also been the goal of Saudi Arabia. Here you have a situation in Syria where these rebels were being armed by the United States so as to fight against uh, Syria, and then you have something like ISIS, which was also, from what I understand, taking over the oil wells, not the ones that were belonging to the Americans, but the ones that are be or like you know the uh, those particular international um, uh, entities, but taking over the oil wells that were belonging, if I'm not mistaken, to Assad. And that's the question when it comes to how much blame should be put. And believe me, I'm going to put a lot of blame on Putin for the refugee crisis, believe you me. But at the same time, how much blame should be put on the intent of the Americans to get rid of Assad so as to empower a lot of these rebels, so as to create, uh, in a way, a vacuum that organizations like ISIS can fill, and in a way, not really being, at least in the beginning, that keen on getting rid of them, because in a way, you could say that the end goal is the same. For ISIS, it's to get rid of uh, the Assad people, and for that international community, it's also to get rid of those Assad people. As horrible as it is to say something like that, would that not make sense from a purely Machiavellian perspective, that you would be on the sidelines and say, okay, like, let these rebel groups, so what if, like, some guns or some weapons go to ISIS, that's fine, as long as they're getting rid of Assad. And that's the thing that a lot of the people on the right now are complaining about regarding the military-industrial complex in general, regardless of whether we're talking about Israel or the United States, at least that is their theory. So I'm curious what you guys uh, think about that, where there could possibly be the misconceptions. This is the general view that people have when it comes to what went on in Syria there, so let me know. I'll take the mic real quick. I think okay. people... One, I wish I knew more about the truth about what's going on in Syria, but I, I don't think people would want to remove Assad because if you look at what happened in Afghanistan, by trying to create a democracy in a country that's not ours and spending trillions of dollars and decades of time and what came out of it, you could call it a failure. I think the same thing would happen with trying to build a democracy in Syria. I don't think that's America's job anymore. And I think we've learned that lesson. Well, I'm curious, Brian, uh, you have a pretty wide lay of the land here. I recall generally West, General Wesley Clark back in the day talking about we're going to go into uh, Iraq, we're going to go into Syria and all that. Oh. So what exactly... Don't, I wouldn't use him as a source. So no? <laughs> Okay, no, that's interesting. I, I figured that that no. is somebody who would be, uh, you know, like a general and all of that. Now I'm curious. So number one, I'm curious why Wesley Clark is a bad source. And number two, what do you think of this general opinion that people who are very blackpilled about the U.S. military have where they talk about how, well, we've kind of, you know, looked the other way to allow something like ISIS to grow because we wanted to get rid of Assad and uh, all that stuff. Well, We've been getting rid of Assad supposedly forever. And it. Uh, I would say when you're looking at these things, you just look at the geography and look at who, who has the stated goal of ruling the planet. Okay, who has ever come out and said, that's us? Do you know who that is? That's China. Look at the world today. Every country in the world is on fire except for China. Look at the protests that are like pro-Hamas and just the chaotic protests, some that are in every direction. 
and their main voice there is Jewish Voice for Peace, which you don't have to be Jewish to be a part of, which is run by neo self-admitted neo-Marxists. Okay, if you look at their um, their board, um, neo-Marxists talking about who's right and who who's wrong in and then framing it in a religious context. They're neo-Marxists by their very nature tend to lean atheist. And then if you want a connection to China, look at Code Pink. Code mm -hmm. Pink, who's behind, not behind them, but a big funder of a lot of these protests, right? Not just this one, the Ruth Sentis protests, those uh, Roe v. Wade ones, um, BLM, uh, so many, okay? It's Code Pink. Jody Evans. Um, her husband was actually in the New York Times. They did an investigation that, that was actually pretty good. And I hate the New York Times, but this one, I didn't find a lot of flaws in it. Jody Evans, the, the founder of Code Pink, uh, happens to be um, her husband. And I'll call it up. Sorry, for I you. have to, someone's, I have a, yeah, a oh, here to pick up. Uh, Two left. Hey, you know what? Why don't we do a two B? But let me just say, I'll send you the links. Check out Code Pink, and um, if you wait, would, ben, I, 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 spent... I don't even know if Ben has to go. Wait, Ben, do you I have, don't to... have to go? I you don't have, have to go, go for like oh, okay. minutes. Yes. I All right. Go so I am. Um, I have someone waiting for me, but um, I would say this: um, don't look at the conflict on the ground. You see what I mean? It's like yeah, that's like looking at the blister without wondering how the blister got there. What I would say is, like, look at who is always wanting to broker peace in all of these conflicts. It's always ultimately, even Ukraine, the Chinese. Okay? And then look at their China dream, which they call it China rejuvenation. You know what China rejuvenation is? We are the global hegemon. That's how they see rejuvenation. Okay? And they've got an axe to grind against, you know, first and foremost against the Japanese and then us. And they cannot achieve what they want to achieve without us out of the way. So it, let me come around to the point. If you look at what's going on with not not the conflict on the ground, because I think when you look at like especially what's going on with, you know, Hamas and, and Israel, if you focus on the, the history of it and everything and you're not actually there, or you're Israeli, or you don't actually have a, a vested interest in it, you are going to learn important things, but they don't matter. It's not actionable intelligence. I think we have to look at the things that fan those flames. They'll, they'll figure it out one way or another. Either someone's going to die or someone's going to own it all. They're going to figure it out. They'll get into the biblical reasons. Those don't matter in the national or international or public conversation because most people don't even know what those are. And so what I'm saying is look at who's fanning the flames and it's always the same organizations. Always, you know, and they all exist on actionnetwork.org or opencollective.com. Um, and they just pop up these violent protests where you can already have the TikTok videos made for you and the hashtags are prefabbed. Um, and they, for as little as $10 a month and these things just pop up. I mean, Lev, weren't you curious how Jewish voice for peace got so many people deployed with matching t-shirts and matching signs all to the same area? 
overnight. I put the link in your private chat. It's because there's an app for that, for lack of a better phrase. And I first discovered this when I was looking at Ruth sent us. And uh, you remember the red cloaks after the Roe v. Wade decision, they popped up out of nowhere. And I was actually hired by a firm to a law firm to look into that. And I looked into that and I was like, wait a minute, these, what they are is they're just CRMs like customer relationship management systems, Salesforce. Um, but you, you get it all in there. You get your contacts in there. If you don't have protesters or contacts, you know, you can put out a call for them, meaning they'll, they'll, they'll get you some, um, you can send your art. You can actually upload your art from, um, Google drive. You can link it to your little account and it will get to the local Kinkos, get your t-shirts there as well. Kinkos. Your get ideas for themes, get ideas for signs. Like, okay, you know, I know you want to go with ceasefire for humanity, but how about just stop genocide? We think that one polls better. They'll give you that. There's media context. You could actually go to any of these is, and, and get a demo and they show wow. you this stuff. And if you go to like actionnetwork.org right now, just scroll down, you'll see Black Lives Matters right there. You'll if you go to Jewish Voice for Peace, you'll find their actions in there. Now, Wait, but but are, that... are they only doing left stuff or both left and right stuff? No, they're only doing left stuff. So here's I mean, an idea. What if somebody on the right organizes a protest at the offices of this organization and it kind of like starts uh, you know, shedding some light on what's going on here? Well, I, I, I actually I was on uh, Doctor asked Doctor Drew, and we're talking about the same thing because he said, "Well, why doesn't why doesn't the right do something like this?" And I said, "I'll take it." And this was me saying it. I said, "I'll take it further." It's like, why don't we just use the tool that exists? I mean, if it works that well, let's do it. I mean, at a minimum for counter protests. But you know what, Lev, I do want to do an experiment, and I want to film it every step of the way and record the screen every step of the way. And I want to pick some obscure things so no one gets hurt or anything like that of like, you know, save the ass headed bullfinch caterpillar that only exists in like, I don't know where Montana and, and, and get people to really get into this and see how many people we can actually get to get out there and protest for this because some evil, I don't know, gas company, I guess wants to kill their natural habitat I bet I could get it going. And and that's funny, but what's scary about this, what's scary about this is when you zoom all the way out on the world and you look at what's happening, there's this almost seems to me like there's a, a forced religious war going on here. Whereas you have, you know, for instance, Jewish voice for peace saying that, Israel's bad, and then they always say, but 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 not Jewish people, just so we're clear, right? But then if you look at their funding, they have no or contributors or partnerships, they have no Jewish partnerships. So though they say they care about their Jewish people, the Jewish voice for peace, how come all of their partnerships are with everyone except for any any Jewish organizations. Now, granted, they have the network of rabbis and all that. But what I'm saying is when you see the funding coming in, it's it's not that, uh, you know, so I guess what I'm saying is what I see with terrorism, what I've seen with terrorism throughout the years that I've been fighting terrorism and, you know, um, and literally fighting terrorism. And I mean, my whole career was the war on terror. And so it seems to me like terrorist groups 
are just moved here, moved there. It's like, oh, we need a conflict here. We need a conflict here. Oh, we need to drive down land deals here. Oh, you know what? China needs a dam over here. Let's have a terrorist conflict. We'll bring in the UN. And oh, by the way, in the rebuilding process, we'll dam up the Yangtze River. You know, I mean, that's how it works. And that's how terrorist groups are used all the time. Because I'm sorry, anyone that doesn't see that, I'm not saying Hamas was used, or obviously gleeful participants in this massacre, but there's a reason why they wore GoPros and wanted to be so public about it. Yeah, There's a reason for that. And it goes beyond anything that people are talking about. People are like, well, they just did that because they wanted the world to see that they were fighting back. It's like, not if you see what's on those videos. And then people will say, oh, well, you know, they did that just because they're mindless savages. No. Yeah, they're mindless in the in the moment, but certainly not. No, it's because there was a reaction that someone wanted the world to have. And I think that reaction mm. is chaos because I think the ultimate goal of that is to complete that access to the Mediterranean by the Chinese Communist Party with the help of Lebanon and Syria. We have a super chat, by the way, from great... Uh, Derek of Myth Vision, which is an amazing podcast. I hope to do a collab with you and Derek, possibly talking about like ancient religions and stuff. He is really, really cool. And he is, sends $5 with the following message. Does Brian know Master Sergeant Michael J. Lambert from Fort Bragg, North Carolina? He was 7th group and moved to USA SOC. He's retired now. That's his father. That's why he was asking if you... Uh, Tell him you can send me a picture because honestly, I get that. So seventh group, I know if he said 82nd, I was going to say hell no, but he said seventh group. So that's good. Um, Lambert it rings a bell. I can kind of vaguely recall a guy who was uh, like in shape, but thinner with like darkish hair, you know, everyone has short hair. So, uh, you know, he can connect with me, mm. um, you know, on, on Twitter or something. I'll DM, DM right. him back or whatever. And, and um, we are, we are going to be concluding I'm better, I'm better visually than, okay. than name. And we are going to be concluding with the uh, super chats almost right now. Cause I know Brian, you got, I mean, you got to go into a sleep for like 10 years, probably after uh, all of this, after all of these podcast appearances and Benjamin, uh, I'm really, really thankful that you uh, got to come in no, and talk with a us. Good conversation. And, but I, and I, I, I yes. To talk to you again. Definitely. Yeah. I, I would love to learn more about Centurion intelligence partners. Oh, you got it, man. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I want to make sure that we touch on this because uh, it is important to me. I was talking about Russia and Putin before. When it comes to China, I couldn't agree more with Brian. But Russia also seemed to have played a role in what's been going on with Israel because keep in mind, uh, Bibi Netanyahu was very, very close, very friendly with Vladimir Putin for a very long time. And when it came to what occurred recently, uh, Russia's, for example, it was recruiting Palestinians in the Lebanese refugee camps to fight for Russia and Ukraine. But also the hand gliders that the Palestinians were using there, that Hamas was using, uh, it really resembles like these Poisk 06 MSN models, which was utilized by the Russian guard. Now, adding on top of all this, as far as the motivation... Can you, can you goes, explain that, Lev? I'm not familiar with that. It's just the uh, model of the uh, glider. Okay. That's what I mean. That was yeah. the same uh, model that was used by the Russian guard. But the reason why okay. I'm saying this is that when it comes to the lack of intelligence on the part of Israel, 
I'm not sure if it was in lack of intelligence so much as an executive decision made by BB at the time not to pursue something possibly because, and this is just my interpretation of it, take it as you will, he was given a reassurance by Putin that, hey, we're going to look into it, everything is fine, all these rumors that you're hearing about, it's no big deal. And I really do think, like, after uh, Russian leaders met uh, with uh, the leaders of Hamas several times already, Russia's been showing very, you know, very clearly where exactly it stands. It took Putin, like, seven days to get back to Netanyahu, and he did not have the same opinion of Israel as a lot of the other Western world leaders did as far as this horrible tragedy that, that occurred. So, I don't know. Like, to me... It seems like Russia's playing a bigger role in all of this. And again, I want to kind of like fight against the whole, you know, like uh, uh, Russia gate. That's why we're not going to talk about Russia anymore uh, thing. Like if something is fishy here, I'm going to pursue it. And I think that Russia is also playing a pretty big role here, especially keeping in mind the amount of Russian people, the amount of Russian people that are in Israel and I wonder about the loyalty of some of them when it comes to being associated with the Kremlin still while having positions within Israeli intelligence, you know, within Mossad, meanwhile reporting back to uh, the Kremlin. So I don't know. This is all like a, a pretty big deal for me as far as the the amount of power that Russia has here. But I don't know. Ben, and Brian, what do you think? And then we're going to go to Super Chats. Uh, ben, that's, that's all you, man. Uh, uh, I've heard a rumor from multiple sources stating that on October 7th, the, the infrastructure of Israel's security was hacked. It wasn't just that everyone was sleeping. Israel has a high, a high technology enabled fence on the Gaza border. It has cameras watching the Gaza border and all of that was hacked. And they believe they all of my, the people, the various people who've told me, three different people have told me, that Russia was the force that that hijacked Israel's uh, tech infrastructure, and there was no way that Hamas was able to do it at that scale because obviously Israel has an incredible cybersecurity capability. So if that's true, that Russia was the one who helped Hamas attack Israel on October 7th, 2023, then that really changes the dynamics. If that's true, but that's just a rumor. Well, I could definitely see um, how they can benefit here as far as being a stooge of China. Like, Brian, you were talking about China wanting to take over. I couldn't agree more, but I see well, Russia and China. They, yeah. They said it. Yeah. I see Russia and China as being one and the same at the end of the day since they're since they might as well be one entity. That's how much Russia is scared of China and how much they're depending on China. And that's why I just see them as a puppet state of China at the end of the day. I'll put it this way, like, and then, then I get to it. Like, Russia is China's dog, okay? They don't want to be, but they are. And this started back when China started really just just going into Siberia and grabbing timber and then grabbing all the resources. And it was actually the USSR that warned the United States against arming China, and we didn't believe them. So I'll put, save that for another conversation. Um, Very interesting. Yeah. What I am saying is that when, and, and I, I agree with what Ben's saying, I just, I, I've got to note 
Lev, and, and this is in no way like an attack on you or anything like that. I don't mean this. So I mean this respectfully, but I do notice that the question, the way you ask it, you say it's like, there's no room for anything, but it has to be Russia. And I, I would say like it, I would rather answer that as if you said, who do you think it could be? Because when I think technology of that scale, um, Russia's hacking ability really was denigrated um, in 2016 when so many of these things, especially coming out of Macedonia, which is a big hub because of bandwidth, um, you know, they lost a lot of that when, um, you know, they became the bad guy and then, you know, they got attacked by a lot of international hacker groups. And so they were severely diminished, but they also don't have the bandwidth, the actual data bandwidth that um china and or belt and road countries would have so when when i look at that i I, and i hear you saying do you think russia this or did russia do this i'm thinking i don't think it was russia at all you know i think it's you have to look at this as again who who could do that i mean who could hack it who can hack our ports who can hack our security who has the biggest contracts uh, to mm. make security camera systems advanced systems big enough to like do an entire province in china with facial recognition i'm pretty sure that that would be china and the other thing i see too is like when i see the videos i've got to say as not not the gopros those yeah. are you know those are horrific but when i see like the the, the aerial shot that we've all seen where they dropped the grenade, which actually looks like an M80, to be honest with you. Like, I've never lit a fuse on a grenade. Maybe you can enlighten me on that one, Ben. But, like, you notice there's a fuse on that thing. Mm-hmm. Like, a, it's a homemade, like, it just looks weird. But what I'm saying is we only see that one, and that's supposed to demonstrate that that's how they took out the comms. I mean, obviously, we were meant to see that. So people say, oh, they took out the comms because they dropped you know, a giant firecracker into the, into the, the telecom system, but that wouldn't necessarily take out the comms. That's, that's a lot of people forget. Like you, you'd, you'd have to literally take out hubs and, and sometimes satellites to wipe out this, even on, on security cameras. And a lot of these security cameras don't even run on uh, radio waves. They run on electric currents that are part of a infrastructure. Mm. So that's Hollywood, you know, in my opinion. So to, to, to answer your question, I would say, um, shit, man, I forgot the original question. Okay. No, I get, <laughs> yeah. I could give you one counter, which is neither saying Russians like in, so many in, in Russia. It's, yeah. a, it's like neither saying Russians in Russia and it's neither saying the Chinese. Here's my theory. And before we go to Super Chats ban, I would love for you to answer what you think about this. What I think has been going on with the hacking, these are Russians who are embedded as fifth columnists within the Israeli army, within the Israeli uh, intelligence. Because for a long time, there's been a lot of Putinist loyalists like Roman Abramovich, like uh, Vital Shev Moshe Kantor that uh, made Israel their uh, their home. And the question of loyalty starts to uh, come up here as far as people who are well-trained within the IDF, within Mossad, who know those zones inside and out while still maintaining loyalty towards the Kremlin. Those people could do a lot of damage 
and that's what I possibly think has been uh, going on here. So not Russians within Russia, but people who are kind of like traitors that are on the inside, and Netanyahu being very confused as far as his relationship with Putin all this time, I think that may have also played a role in uh, the horrible things that we've seen. But I don't know, you've got the final word on that, and then we're going to go to Super Chat. If that were true, I'd be shocked. I highly doubt that. It does make sense because there are a lot of Russians in Israel and you could see some of them breaking ranks and fighting for Russia. But I would just be truly shocked if that were true. But in today's world, you never know. You never know indeed. So, guys, we're going to... Can I just add really quickly on that? If you're going to have people betraying or embedding, you wouldn't have something that organized and well-coordinated that was already proven to have been um, like uh, rehearsed in Lebanon. I mean, it's just too well coordinated. Uh, You know, it's just, I don't, I just don't think it'd be that organized. You might have a couple internal terror attacks or something like that, but that, that, that was, that was, Mm. you know, full spectrum dominance. Well, you, you were saying originally how smart Putin is and how he's like the KGB mastermind and all that. So I, I'd assume that there would be some, cheap, cheap trick by friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you meet a lot of the Russian speaking people in in Israel, they're all very pro Israel. They're grateful that Israel gave Mm. them a place to immigrate to. So the, the ethos of the Russian speaking people in Israel is gr- gratitude and a love for the country. So I think your th- theory that Russian soldiers who are working in Israeli intelligence were actually helping Hamas, I think that's wrong. I hope I that I am mistaken about that theory. I've just seen a lot of these, uh, at least from the oligarchs' perspective, a lot of these very pro-Putinist oligarchs also, you know, putting a lot of money into Israel, and that does kind of make me question where exactly at least those oligarchs' loyalties are at the end of the day, since they're so dependent on Putin, and I just kind of like stretch that outwards into Mossad and the general thing, because, you know, you got double agents, triple agents, and all kinds of things, but anyway, we're going to be going into Super Chat, oh, and by the way, Brian, I still maintain that Putin is a dumbass and he was made a dumbass through gradual degeneration that would happen with any dictator when you just get like butt kissers around you telling you what you want to hear. So I see him as somebody... Yes. that the wise warrior always assumes his enemy is smarter than he is. Mm. True. All right. That's... Uh, I, w- mm. I, will, I will take that. All right. On to Super Chats. Here we go. The Great and Powerful Glass Cake. 15 pounds. My friend from uh, Great Britain. Putin is incredible. Oh, speak of the devil. Putin is incredibly smart. His agenda is to lord over people and make them retarded. Please understand this, Brian. Also, I had to add a space between re and tarted just so Google would let me yap. I mean, is that a haiku? I really enjoyed it. It was very melodic. (laughs) I get all due respect. Yeah. No, I guess I his point is that the question is. No, I guess his point is that 
his agenda, Putin's agenda, is to make everybody like really, really stupid who was under him. And it kind of makes sense with somebody like Stalin, too, because if you look at what occurred during uh, Stalin's reign, the people who... I mean, that's the, that's the communist and dictatorial yeah. way. I mean, that's, that's yeah. pretty... Standard. They they yeah. wanted to, but not just on the people, like the people who were supposed to be like in charge of things. Stalin ended up trusting Khrushchev the most because Khrushchev pretended to be an idiot, right. and that's why in the end Khrushchev ended up winning. While anybody who showed like the slightest indication of competence was very quickly weeded out because Stalin knew, and you know rightfully so, that these people are going to if they're smart enough within that kind of system, not like the class liberal flexible system that we have under that kind of top-down system he knew that those people so, are going to get into power and they're going to betray him if they're too smart lev i want to say something what was that person's name because i i do apologize i think i was a bit insulting and i don't oh. mean it so i'm going to give you, no it's I'm cool give you, glass cake I'm glass gonna, cake. Not, not you for the uh, glass glass yeah cake. glass cake yeah I, I want to give him something in return to show that i i do mean it uh fun fact um the u.s intelligence agencies and an ecosystem kind of has the same problem i always used to call it survivor island where you can't be too good can't catch too <laughs> many fish got to catch something got to be right in the middle otherwise they eliminate you you won't need the rent isn't that scary that is pretty scary yeah absolutely so uh i think these are all the super chats right now but i really appreciate you guys doing this and now it's time to promote all the things that you guys are working on. So let's start with Benjamin Sklar. What do you got in the works? You also do law stuff. You uh, do these great motivational videos. Where can people find more info about you and subscribe to your podcast? So what I'm currently working on is trying to build my business as a lawyer. I am a corporate lawyer in New York focused on helping startups and companies raise money. So if you are a CEO, founder, and are looking to raise equity, I'm your guy. There we go. And as far as the podcast goes? As far as the podcast goes, I'm the host of Hacking the Hustle. It's a podcast you can find on all the different podcasts. It's a great title. Thank you. Why do you say that, Brian? It's a great title. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a great title, Hacking the Hustle. It says everything the podcast is about within the title. It's perfect. Thank you. And I also have three episodes into a new podcast called Solving the Conflict. So very relevant to That's great. today's conversation. Absolutely. And what about Instagram, Twitter? Like, where are you the yeah, most active? You can active? find me on all the different platforms with my name, Benjamin Sklar or Benji Sklar. My friends call me Benji, J-I. So reach out, find me there, send me a message. Excellent. And Brian, what are you working on now, brother? I mean, these days I am working on uh, dailyclout.io. Um, I co-host with my good friend, JJ Carroll. We co-host. Great dude. Something called. Great. Thank you. Uh, he's a, he's a, he's, yeah, he's top notch. Um, uh, it's called unrestricted invasion. And then my own um, column is called mostly peaceful going beyond the headlines to you know get to the real news um but i also want to say uh brian o'shea on substack investigate everything and what i do like to do is i always say like attack the tower not the archer so what i do try to focus on is 
okay, not what's happening, but why it's happening. Cause that's, that's really what you have to target to, to get your freedom back is the manipulators, not the manipulated granted. You got to protect yourself from the manipulated, but it's the people moving the pieces that you got to pay attention to. And you can also check out because Ben brought it up earlier. Um, I'm CEO of a private intelligence company called Centurion, Centurion Intelligence com and ben i can actually talk to you offline and uh we could talk about maybe um connecting you with some people so awesome. yeah be happy to hear that. this is and guys this is what break the rules does we bring together these people we are like uh break the rules is like uh the connector inside of the brain with various synapses all the synapses are just connected and all the most important things that are going on in the world and the right people are meeting each other through this platform of BTR, but it would not be able to be that way without your support. And here's how you can support BTR. Patreon.com slash break the rules. It's super easy to remember. I don't even know how that title was available, but it it was. So patreon.com slash break the rules. I have the link right over here in the chat for all you guys who are watching this. Go there right now. Patreon, it's going to be of an immense help. The $20 tier is great. So is the uh, $5 one. For the $5, you get the MP3s of the episodes after they come out. For the $20 one, you are also going to get uh, discounts, if not completely free events that I'm going to be doing in uh, New York City, where you're going to be able to meet up with various people who I know, uh, possibly some of the people that are on the show. Wink, wink, hint, hint. And same thing with like the online onlys for the people who are not in New York City and hopefully eventually will come over. But a good way to kind of like get to know you guys and meet very interesting people as well. So that's what's going down in that tier of the Patreon. And for $50, guys, uh, you are going to get my assistance with starting a podcast. You like this microphone? You like this nice lighting over here that I set up? This whole uh, way of advertising? OBS, all of the secret knowledge of the universe can be yours with the $50 Patreon tier. I say like for several months, you know, just to kind of like establish trust. But afterwards, I am going to be at your disposal to guide you on how to create the perfect podcast, find an audience, all that good stuff. I've been through the ringer. I know what I'm talking about. Brian, you can definitely uh, confirm that. And with that said... Go to Discord as well for all the very online people who love all the Discord forums. Break the Rules has its own Discord. And if you know what's good for you, you're going to sign up there and join the cult. There we go, guys. Follow me on Twitter at LevPo, L-E-V-P-O. Oh, and I completely forgot. Loveslens.com, loveslens.com, loveslens.com. That is my <laughs> Substack. So go there right now. Here is the link. It's also lefpo.substack.com. It's the same thing. It goes to the same place. Read my Hassan Piker article, Hassan Piker, the Sultan of Entropy. It talks a lot about the kind of stuff that we were talking about today as well. Uh, and also, I am going to be coming out tomorrow with a new article, which is going to be about Malay versus Trump versus several other people like Geert Wilders, for instance, and uh, just like comparing all of these 
upcoming, you know, based and red-pilled uh, world leaders and what exactly we have in store from them. So anyway, guys, that's all I got to say. Thank you guys so much for watching. Once again, big thank you to Benjamin Sklar, Brian O'Shea. Uh, uh, you guys, you guys are family people. I really appreciate you making the time to actually be here and speak with this uh, with this crazy dude uh, with the uh, with the long hair. So thank you guys so much. I hope to see you guys in person very soon as well. Uh, wishing everybody the best. Have a good night. Mwah!